Hello, everyone, and welcome to another PAP chat, Productivity App Chat. I love the name. I'm ki- I'm sticking with it. Um, today, we have Brian Jenks talking Obsidian Ooh. and possibly some other applications. We will see. I'm, I'm sure there's there's more than just Obsidian that Brian uses, having, having explored his channel uh, a lot <laughs> previously. Uh, for those of you new here, I am Danny Hatcher. We, I, I, I use Notion a little bit and a load of other apps. Um, Kim, good to see you. And uh, we're going to talk productivity apps, philosophy, methodology, and who else knows where. Um, so, Brian, do you want to give a bit of a, an intro to the people coming in as to who you are, what you do, um, and things of that nature. Yeah, hi. Um, this is the first time I've done a collab stream before, so this is nice, neat, and I haven't used StreamYard before, so this is really cool. Um, I am a research data specialist, one, for the California state government here in the United States, and uh, I make my channel primarily about Obsidian, but I've also done a lot of content around like Linux, command line utilities, programming, uh, and just basically tech things, but I'm really into the fields of personal knowledge management, technology, productivity, and I do talk a lot about my ADHD, how I handle it, and how I use software and other tools to help me, and how I use those things to you know, leverage it for even beneficial purposes. So I'm kind of all over the place, kind of eclectic. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's similar with a lot of a lot of creators, <laughs> not necessarily tech industry specific, but we all have like more than that one thing that we post a video on. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've sort of been associated with Notion and I'm like, but I'm more than just Notion. <laughs> I'm more than just Obsidian, but <laughs> yeah. that's what made my channel really pop off. So Exactly. It's like, how do I fight against that wave? Yeah. Um, okay, so... Uh, Hope Street, good to see you. Uh, I can never say your name. I apologize. Chitachi, I think I've said that right again. It's every time I see it, I'm like, I know you. I know the name. I have to, like, remember it. Uh, Sarah, good to see you. I know Sarah. I know you're familiar with Sarah. We were mm-hmm. talking talking on stream when you were streaming on your channel. Wasn't uh, she the one that told us to stream together? <laughs> yeah, so... It's so it's funny on on that day. I'll, I'll ask you the question in a second. On that day, I I had done my stream. I finished my stream, um, and I I'm a bit of a night owl. So it was about one thirty in the morning for me, and I saw that you were streaming. So I was like, I'll just go in. And during my stream, I had mentioned that I was going to reach out to you to stream, and then. <laughs> I went into your stream thinking, okay, I'll see if I can send him a message. And Sarah put in the chat before I could even say anything. I was like, (laughs) Sarah's on it. (laughs) Look, Sarah, you manifested this. This is your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All all liability falls on you. (laughs) (laughs) We will not be Um, responsible. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't think we're going to get any unicorn donkeys today. Um, donkey unicorns unicorn donkeys i mean just to give you a a bit of a lowdown of how this chat sometimes goes is when i'm exploring applications we have built our built up our own little scale of how good an app is right orange is my preferred color as you can probably tell so an orange emoji is the best type of app Uh, and then we have peanut butter i don't like peanut butter so peanut butter is a bad app (laughs) <laughs> right. And then you have banana pizza. I have never tried banana pizza, but apparently it's disgusting. I would imagine. It's, yeah. So banana pizza is just a disgusting app. So that, that is our current scaling <laughs> to give you an idea of where the chat may go. <laughs> well, now I won't question any weird emojis. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that that is from an app. 
Nototo is the application. And uh, essentially, it's a really basic post-it note app, very similar to Google Keep. You can write your notes in it, but you can build stuff. So your note is a territory, similar to like a 3D Minecraft thing. And I put a sheep on the on the 3D plane next to my note, and I made the sheep massive. Um, and Sheepzilla was born. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, Do you yeah. Have pictures of this. I mean, it's a live stream. It's uh, it's a members live stream. I I don't think I have a screenshot, but I I mean, it's on the channel, so I can I can grab it back. But yeah, Natoto, you can just search up the app, and you can put like dinosaurs in there for some reason. Like you can make territories, put houses in there. I was trying to make a castle around my note, uh, which is quite simply just a post-it note which you type on. There's no backlinks, no references, no markdown. It's literally just a, you can type on it, but you can put sheep next to it and surround it by big castles and dinosaurs. Yeah, it was, it was on the technology that. that the human race needs. Yeah. This is the future. This is the way. <laughs> yeah, for, forget <laughs> AI, forget Google Assistant. We can put a big sheep next to our post-it note. <laughs> This is, this is, I need this. I need this in my life. <laughs> oh, okay. So, question. I, I mean, f- five minutes in, I haven't even asked anything. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a difficult question. Um, note taking in general. I'm curious with with the the coding, the Obsidian, the note taking. Do you only use Obsidian for all of your note taking? Mm, if it's for like my personal notes. Anything that I'm doing that I'm not at work, I'm usually funneling to Obsidian. Um, I use a, a variety of different apps for a couple different things, but I don't. I'm not using too many things. So, like, I'll, I'll preface everything with like, because I have ADHD and I know I need to work around that. That I try to only use things that actually directly provide value and help. I can't just be like playing around with something and I'm just going to try and move everything to this app and play around with this. Like, does this actually help me? Then I can't get lost in that. I'll play around with something, but like, I'm not going to shift my whole system over. So I use primarily um, right now Todoist for uh, quick capture and task management. Um, I could just as easily switch back to uh, the task warrior command line utility I was using. And I built a whole bunch of like scripts and systems around that, which is totally fine. But I was using uh, Todoist for that. But everything else is just like little helper tools that get me help me get content into Obsidian for my note taking there. So the note taking happens in Obsidian, but all the other tools just facilitate that process. Um, and then if I'm at a, in a work context, like um, in my job, my day job at the government, um, we have Microsoft contracts. So we use a lot of Microsoft software, which means it all integrates well. So it's really just there's too much friction to just get everything into Markdown and use Obsidian as much as I would love to do it. So it's kind of like Microsoft OneNote. And as soon as we get bi-directional links in there, it'll be a lot less painful. But yeah, it's like uh, Microsoft Office at work for OneNote, but um, Obsidian for just about me, everything else. Interesting. So uh, I'm, I mean, so Kim, I know Marie is streaming right now and I knew she said she was going to stream, but w- she, she doesn't communicate to me when she's going to go live. I found out she was going to go live when I got the notification saying 30 minutes to live. And I'm like, that, that, no. Um, yeah. So I, I can't do anything about that. Unfortunately, maybe, maybe just have both open. I mean, who, who knows? I, I imagine Marie's probably going to stream around a couple hours as well. Cause she likes talking as well. Do you know Marie Paulin? 
Mm-mm. So she's a, a Notion Notion mastery person. She has a course in Notion. Um, and we had her on stream a while ago. So a lot of my audience obviously are familiar with Marie. Uh, so so the opposite of Danny. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I remember I caught a little snippet of that when I was poking around at your uh, your content that I saw her on there. Yes. Yeah. Marie came on, was it last week? Um, uh, I've, I've, I've spoken to her a fair amount considering we're both Notion ambassadors, but yeah, spoken on a stream a couple of times and that stream we planned, well, typically, like I said earlier, about two hours, we hit like three hours so easy. And we're like, we should probably stop talking. <laughs> uh, so it's exciting. easy to get lost in Notion. <laughs> yeah. I rescheduled a lesson to catch you guys. Nice, nice, awesome. Hi, Hope. Um, <laughs> are you are you familiar with Hope then? I think I believe she's one of my um, sponsors on Patreon. I think. Ah, oh, look at that rewatch! Yes, loving it, loving it. Uh, Marie <laughs> is great, very chill, like Brian. Yeah. Are you saying I'm not chill, Sarah? Are you saying I'm too hyped or too Shots energetic? Fired. Shots yeah, fired. like I'm a fan. I thought it was okay. <laughs> Yeah, Pippa, I thought that was you, Hope. <laughs> um, right, yeah, so you, you mentioned sort of funneling things into Obsidian or mm-hmm. m- like Microsoft OneNote for work. Uh, something that, uh, oh, wow, Scott, Scott Friesen from Simpletivity. I spoke to him a couple of days mm-hmm. ago. Um, and something he was saying is he uses his Google Calendar as his notification center almost uh, and then uses Trello for his tasks and projects. So sort of Google Calendar front end, Trello is the back end. I'm not a fan of Trello, so hey. Um, but would you say you use a lot of front-end tools to bring things into Obsidian, like on, on the back end? So maybe like, I don't know, Instapaper or Pocket or something like that. Do you use a load of things out there to bring things into Markdown to bring it into Obsidian, or do you just straight into Obsidian always? Um, camera's a little fuzzy. Uh I use a lot of tools to get things into Markdown. Um, I have used Trello a lot before, and um, I did like it for, the main thing I don't like is really where we could start. I mean, the thing I don't like about it is that you have to pay just to use a certain number of uh, little add-ons that actually add the core functionality you'd really like from it. Um, but as far as like something simple to get the job done, it was all, all right. But then I found like an easy command line utility that basically functions like a Kanban board and I could use Vim key bindings. So I'm like, well, that kind of just, why then? Why use Trello? But I did like the ability ability to email myself cards. But um, um, I mainly have, I I practically live off of my calendar. And I, so the, the main funnel for like either ideas or reminders or management of my tasks and events and notes, it really all funnels down from Todoist to iCalendar to uh, Obsidian. And you can interchange, you know, task management and calendar apps for whichever, whatever you might use. Cause I still have, I have a selection I would pick if I was on Linux and I'm on Mac right now, but um, it really comes down to if I, if I have an idea or I need to remember something or I just need to get something out of my head, I can easily just use a voice assistant to say, hey, remind me about this thing in 10 minutes to do do the thing in Todoist. And so then just it makes me a reminder. And so 
I just, because of my, the way my brain works, I have to just centralize everything. It's all in one place. So I can easily, I don't have to remember anything. I get it out of my head. It's externalized and I can go on with my day with no anxiety because I know it's somewhere where I can look for it later because it's all in one place. That place is Todoist. So I go there and then I see, okay, here's everything I've collected. Everything's out of my head and now I can manage it and I don't have to worry about the capture. And so from there, those tasks, I will then time block onto my calendar because otherwise if I just see a mountain of tasks in this list, it's gonna be intimidating. I'm gonna have executive dysfunction pop up and it's gonna be like, yeah, you get, there's nowhere to start here. It's just too much, just too big. I'm, I'm gonna go, go over there and ignore that. So then I'll take those, I'll actually put them on my calendar and time block them, which is like, to me, it's like, okay, you are now in this next appointment. The appointment is a 15 minute block to do this task. So for the next 15 minutes, you are only focused on this task. And so it's a really nice, quick, hard line cutoff or for context switching. You are now only working on this task for the next 15 minutes. And if that sometimes that could be just, hey, you had an idea while you were driving about something about uh, the hedonic treadmill and how it affects motivation in people with ADHD or whatever. And that would be, okay, so make that note or just quickly get that seedling note into Obsidian and then, okay, the noting's there, it's tagged as a seedling. I can come back to that at any time, next task. And so it's kind of just always funneling down and I, I need to have places where I can always refer back to. Like I know safely everything will be captured in one place that I know where to look for it. And I can just easily go through my life without anxiety now because it's, it's there, I can trust my process. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And I'm exactly the same because as we sort of said beforehand, as I think most people in my chat know, I, my brain sort of worms off into squirrel moments and have, having the ability just to just to capture that thing and just afford to forget it for that moment while you're focused on whatever it is. So useful. You mentioned Todoist. Do you use Todoist as a, as a as a substitute clipper almost because Obsidian obviously doesn't have a web clipper. And I know in Todoist you can you can clip or you can add a website as a task in Todoist in the, the web extension. So do you use Todoist as your clipper or do you have a an actual clipper for, for your web browser? Um, I don't use Todoist for much of anything other than just task management, collection, prioritizing, and really just the, the ability to quickly pop up that little modal window to capture tasks at my keyboard, no matter what I'm looking at, and the natural language processing. So I can just type, hey, in two days, and it knows to switch that date and schedule it for me. That's really why I pay the measly four US dollars a month for that. Um, as far as Web Clipper, Obsidian does have a, a new plugin right now, I think, that does allow for web clipping in some way or just also copying a website as Markdown. So both of those functionalities I think are now uh, present, at least like brand new uh, as plugins. So those exist, but as for like what I use to like, oh, I wanna read this article later. I wanna check out this website. I wanna capture that. Um, I'm, I rely primarily on Raindrop.io and uh, I use that pretty often. I, I capture a lot of stuff in there and I have a pretty, uh, it's, it's gotten a little bit more complex since my workflow video which is the most popular video on my channel. And it's embarrassing because it's uh, out of date now. But um, yeah, I have a, I have a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a little bit more of a complex process with it now, but it's not not too crazy. Because like I said, I got to keep it simple so that it's all funneling to the, the place it needs to go, which is Obsidian. But um, yeah, I, I use primarily Raindrop. If you wanted to, I can share my screen and show you that if you want. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be good. You got the share button down the bottom, and then I can bring it up. Uh, yeah, I'm similar situation with the with the YouTube thing. Is I have a video how to build a second brain in Notion, and it's when I was using Notion for everything, and now I'm using like so many apps all over the place because it's just fun using all the apps. Um, and now it's like well, it's it's not redundant; it's still useful. But um, yeah, you're sharing the Streamyard uh, screen just as a. FYI, I can see it, but not everyone yeah. else can see it at the moment. So just let me know when you're ready. Uh, yep, I'm ready. Chitachi, I will get to your question once once Brian's shared. So add to stream, and you are now sharing. I'm not sure if everyone will be able to see that. You might need to zoom in a little bit. Oh, this is just the the one of the folders. Okay. But um, yeah, so like I have my unsorted, which is where if I just you know, collected something with the raindrop extension right here. Um, I can click this and also actually just capture my raindrop page, which I don't need. But this defaults to unsorted. If I don't know where I want to put it yet, this is kind of like just the the random assortment. Like this is my basically my inbox. Anything, everything. If I just clip it, it goes in here, and then I can deal with it later. Um, but then what I will then do is if I know it's something that I really need to spend some time, like really dissecting and chewing on. I'm going to put that into this inbox folder, which is really like, this is my Zettelkasten inbox. Like I know that this is going to be an input into my Zettelkasten and not just some like quick five minute read medium article about something that's not really dense enough to give me any sort of like evergreen note ideas. So that would be um, stuff that would go in this inbox, which is Zettelkasten inputs. Focus, you can infer that this is actually for the last three streams I've been doing, it's been only this article because every single article um, I will, I'm going through like also the cited papers. And so I've had to branch off and read an, on stream three scientific research papers <laughs> and do my process for those as I'm reading this one article. Um, but then after I finish with an input, this article or whatever, I will then put it into this archive, which is really just like if I ever wanted to find them again. I'm not really like prone anymore to the collector's fallacy. It's just kind of like, hey, if I wanted to ever find it, I know what I was talking about, but this is mostly just, hey, I'm done with it, put it somewhere where it belongs. If I reading something like in my unsorted and it's not a Zettelkasten input, like it's not dense enough, it's a five minute medium article, interesting, but don't care anymore. I'm still going to keep that in case I ever wanted to like, hey, I remember reading that thing. It didn't give me any inputs, but I want to show that to my friend. Where is that? I'm not going to delete it. I'm going to put it into my little trash collection, not the actual trash bin, but a little collection that is just, hey, this is where everything else goes that I don't care about, but I still want to have. Um, and then I have just like some other, like these are just general categories for other projects or interests. This is just, this is not Zettelkost and stuff at all. This is just like little interests. Like if when I go and rebuild my uh, Linux machine for Arch Linux again, this is all the different stuff I'm collecting for when I get around to you know, setting up different utilities and things, um, stuff about space repetition and Anki, and then um, general stuff for business, like researching ConvertKit email stuff, learning, I'm learning two languages right now. So that's just resources for that. Um, that's coding languages, right? Or is, huh? that, is that coding languages or like, like language, like speech languages? Speech. Um, I'm learning uh, Norwegian at the moment. And then um, my girlfriend's native language is Mien. So I'm learning both of those. And then for coding languages, I'm trying to actually spend more time learning front-end development with JavaScript. And um, I use R in, in my day job, and I used a lot of SQL in my day job. So it's kind of like, it's whatever my job has me use, but I'm also trying to learn for, like, for personal projects more about JavaScript and front-end development. 
and then just some other useful stuff. Um, but yeah, mostly it's about the Zettelkasten part. This is really what I use it for. Um, I could just take all these bookmarks and put them into Raindrop, but I kind of <laughs> just use my process for separate things. But that's basically Raindrop. So while I'm while I have things in here, I'm reading this article. I'm you know, taking notes, and then oh, here's a study. I'm going to go there, and it's going to show me the paper or whatever. Then as I'm doing that, I have Obsidian open on the side, and I'm taking notes on that. So um, can you see this window, my Obsidian window? Uh, no, we can only see the AirDrop. AirDrop OK, window. I think I shared a application only. So oh. if I go and share the, um, there, I should just share the whole screen. Yeah, that's okay. typically what I do, but then obviously not everyone wants to share their whole screen because sometimes yeah, I'm, I'm prepared as a, a YouTube slash streamer. So <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Good, good to good to go. Yeah, yeah. So right. um, that article that I was reading, the it's lonely at the top. Um, as I've been going through it, um, where is it? Uh, 2021. Yeah. So as I've been going through this thing. I've been branching off and like, okay, here's um, each paper, each research paper begins with an ampersand. So like each of these is a research paper I've read as the part of going through this article. And then below it are all the actual note ideas I've gotten from each of those papers. And they're all tagged on the original um, input for the article, which is still in processing. <laughs> so I've still, I've been working on this article for the better part of a month and I'm still going through it. So it's just been an arduous process. But as I go through those notes, um, the the papers, the article on Raindrop, I'm opening and I have things going in um, other applications. So if it's a paper, it's in Zotero. I'm doing my Zotero workflow, but I'm also taking notes in Obsidian at the same time. But it all it all flows that way. Oops. Right. Uh, that window. Cool. Okay. That's. So it's 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 funny you you've you've got you've got the workflow in there and what's what's interesting is you've got the tags and you also have the the backlink so something obviously in some applications notion being one of them is you can put lots of data in there but it's a it's a very manual process to get some of the other like backlinking features the 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 searching the relations obviously um to to have that working which is why obsidian roam ample note to an extent have you explored ample note I don't think I've explored that one, no. Um, so it was a, a recent one that I, I, I went through. Um, and it's it's still got the backlinks, the unlinked references, but it has tasks as like a separate thing. So any checkbox you put in any note goes into its own task inbox, which I thought was unique. I like that feature. Um, but yeah, and you you sort of you've got the the backlinks and the unlinked references there. What I would what I what I'm curious to see though, you you said tag. What's the mm. difference between a tag and uh, a linked page? in your Obsidian? Because I know different okay. people in Obsidian do it different ways and there's arguments backwards and forwards. So, what, so what's your approach? Chitachi, I will get to your question after this one. I've just seen it back in chat. <laughs> and I apologize for being absolutely long-winded, but I get really excited about this stuff. <laughs> we, we all do. We are all, like, I, I am a self-proclaimed productive nerd. That's literally my name on chess.com, productive nerd, because <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, so, I... I'm not, I'm not going to claim this, but I think I was the one who really started doing this, at least in Obsidian. So like, it's also one of my most popular videos and kind of one of the more, more popular topics that I am constantly like, getting dragged into conversations about, which is 
how I treat tags and links in uh, my vault and how I leverage that with things like the graph, but also uh, because I have a very like programming heavy background, uh, I also am like a systems thinker. So I think about how this whole system will work and in regards to how I can organize, classify, uh, filter and sort information by using metadata. Maybe not like metadata in the traditional sense, like you know, hidden attributes of a file, like the modified date that you can't actually access anywhere, you know, as an end user normally, like on a, a Microsoft Word file. But like metadata, like I named the file this way because it has this specific behavior in these particular situations and contexts. And I think about that type of stuff all the time. And it's just that's just what comes to me. So um, I'll just show my vault again. Um, you don't have okay. to shop, stop sharing, by the way. I can okay. just take it. I can just take it off the stream, so it doesn't quite work the same as Zoom, which a lot of people do. I like that. I'll, I'll stop it. Uh, you good? You clean to go up? Yeah. I, li I like asking because sometimes people have sensitive data in their space. Um, there is a, a button down the bottom that you can like click hide as well. Just okay. Yeah, so I um, I kind of have my stuff relatively prepared for being um, in the public eye, so I'm not too. <laughs> I have I have it kind of cordoned off. Um, ah. But how I use tags and links, um, I have a, pa a page in my vault that I also have on my, my published site. So almost everything in my vault is public and available. Um, but I have this whole note for like the taxonomy for my entire system in, well, for most of my entire system, like how I do classification. So I have, uh, now we have nested tags in Obsidian, just like um, the Bear app has and several other things. I think um, there's that yeah. one new, Note Plan Three, I think that just also has it now too. But yep. um, Note Plan B, Canvas, Notability, uh, not Notability, a Nimbus Note uh, was the one I was thinking of. Uh, what's the other one? There's another one I've recently explored that has it as well. But yeah, it's a common feature. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really useful, and I've actually kind of um, ran with that one. So I redid uh, lots of lots of my system to leverage this. So I have like this little inbox, and I use it. Oh, so here's another another can of worms. I use emojis. Um, I, love, traditionally, I love it. I've seen the colors. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I love colors, as you can ADHD, probably tell. ADHD people and I think a lot of neurodivergent type people are very much visual learners. Um, I learn a lot by doing, but also by seeing. So if I, I need to be doing the task, but also I learn best by watching video and video sped up on two to three X speed sometimes. Um, I, just to answer that question, I'm not using Vim. I'm using Vim emulation in Obsidian, um, which it's not the same, but it's like good enough Vim to get around because I love Vim. But uh, I use emojis, and the emojis are like just, you know, what they are. It's picture representations of what I'm showing and talking about, and it's visually easily apparent what I'm looking at, what's going on, and I like it. And it's not just bland text to me. Yes. So I use the the nested tags with emojis, which totally works. So it's just a little slash in between different emoji pictures. And so every input, an article, a podcast, a book, starts with an inbox icon. It's an inbox item. It's in my inbox to process. Um, if it's in Raindrop, then it's in Raindrop. Now, when I start processing it, then I will put it into Obsidian, and it actually has a note and a tag and all that stuff. Until then, all that stuff in my Raindrop doesn't exist in here at all in any capacity. But once it's in here, I will put it through the stages of processing. And it'll say, first say like, you know, it's an inbox item, it's a book, and it's at what stage of processing. Now this is all put into here under completed just because I don't wanna have to repeat this four times for the tags. But um, 
So it's like you can see here I have inbox, I have an article, and then I have two articles that I'm currently working on, which is they are currently processing. Now, if it's if I finished reading it, if I finished taking notes, and those notes are just, you know, they're little seedlings now, I need to like work on them and add more content to them, then I'm synthesizing the rest of those thoughts. And then when I'm actually done with all of that stuff, it's completed. And so I have a bunch of little completed items in here for different uh, mediums, and that's great. Then for papers, specifically papers, um, I got this from somebody else in the Obsidian um, Discord community, uh, Bree Watson, really awesome uh, PhD student who does, a lot, I think, um, library science or something in that, that space, really good with information classification and organization. A lot of really great content from, um, from them that I really enjoy. But they have a, uh, a system of highlighting uh, in like Zotero and just how they, they manage their different highlights. And so I kind of stole that um, in a little bit and changed a little few things. <laughs> but yes, borrowed liberally. <laughs> but, um, so like in, when I'm reading a paper in Zotero, I will um, now be moving forward using this where I actually uh, highlight with different colors based on different um, what I think about it. Like if something is an important point to me, I'm going to tag it with green. And then the different colors here are just, this is what the colors are called in the application I use, but this is what they actually are in any case. Um, so, you know, if it's important, it's gets basically yellow. If I disagree with the point, it's red. If it's important to me, it's green. And if it's something like a research paper, a citation or something I need to look up later and come back to and really dive into, I'm going to tag it uh, purple. And then what a really great idea that was like, oh, I like that from Brie was the blue and different shades of blue. So if I come back to something later on after I've already finished my process, then I can tag it in different shades of blue for new iterations of notes that uh, I might come back to. I'm not a PhD student. I'm just working on my bachelor's. I really just read research papers for fun. So this is not something I'm really, really heavily into doing at the moment, but knowing it's there is really nice. It's that um, word again, fun. I, I yes. had a conversation with Layla Pomper and she she didn't quite understand my fun. She understands the word fun, obviously, but my fun <laughs> is exploring applications and just learning stuff for the sake of learning stuff. And to her, it was like, she she's much more on the on the business side um of of processes process driven uh, work so and i was like ah, I need, it needs to be fun which is where all the, the emojis the color the enthusiasm comes from <laughs> yeah i i like people have told me i should be a consultant because i really like going into new jobs and in where anything anywhere i work i always try to look at the processes as a systems thinker and think how can we better organize this better uh, remove friction from this process, facilitate better communication and just better ways of managing information, data, documents, and value-added work. And I do that, Just it's just what I have to do. I, I feel compelled to do it. It's not even like what I'm asked to do. And so it's been beneficial in my career, but it's also, I guess, maybe some sort of OCT. <laughs> but um, I think we're in the same boat there. <laughs> I think we're in the same boat yes. there. I love playing with new applications. People send me like applications in my Discord server that email me. I've had like the the Margin Note three developer, I think, just straight up like cold emailed me, and I'm like, this is cool. I mean, I I could fit this in, but like I have these other things. But like I really wanted to like play with the application, so I did. But I really like, um, yeah, I like getting uh, suggestions. That's literally what my Obsidian Vault is probably predominantly filled with it's just multiple applications and just features of different apps i i have a page just to bring all of the features together because yeah 
<laughs> yeah. I can see all the all the cross apps, and obviously with the graph view, you can then see what what apps have this feature, what apps have that feature. I'm still exploring Obsidian to some extent, um, but yeah. Yeah, the the connections between applications I've I, I like right now is really useful for a lot of the academic software I I use because I like to tie those different things in. Like this one is good for paper discovery. This one's good for like citation network graphing. So you can see which papers are like heavily cited. So you can, they, oh, this is this would be pivotal to my research. Um, that type of stuff, I really like the, the the links for that type of feature because then you can see which types of software also facilitate those processes. Um, but yeah, con uh, continuing on with this one, um, just so we can move on. Uh, <laughs> the um, the nested tags I have for these other things are like my actual notes, like my Zettelkasten, my evergreen notes. This is the, the stuff that's actually tagged with this. So like, as soon as I have an idea, so like I could have a seedling idea, it's just something pops into my head. It's now a seedling. It's in here, it's a note, it's a seedling. It it's just could be just be the title of the note in my, my basic template, and that's it. There's nothing, no content yet. So it's something to come back to. Ferns, uh, which I just recently added, is something like I had a seedling idea, but I also had some thoughts that I just need to get out of me on this thing. I'm gonna put it in there. Okay, that's it. It's just, I put some stuff in there. It's not even formatted. It's rough. It's it's just, and I got it out of me. It's waiting for processing. Incubator is when uh, I, I have something, I'm working on it, I fleshed it out, and it's now ready to be deeply connected to other things in the graph or in my vault, or it's ready for that, but it doesn't currently fit anywhere appropriate. So it's just sitting in there until I can find a place for it eventually. And then Evergreen is what you would expect it to be. It's like, this is the stuff that is evergreen content. It's gonna be added to over time. It's just, it's the forest, it's out there. <laughs> um, and like an example of something I have as a, a seedling, I will come back to this is, um, like I have a, a note for like mirror neurons, which I was talking some about something on stream about how, um, I think I was talking, so just like my tangent brain thinking, um, I was thinking about the word sonder, which is a relatively newly defined word in some, uh, yeah, look up the word sonder. It's a really cool concept of thinking about how we're not uh, egotistical, self-absorbed people. We Other people have stories as rich as your own. But thinking about that got me onto something, oh yeah, I remember thinking about mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the neurons in your brain that when, when I smile and you're looking at me and I smile, you, even if you're not even consciously aware of it, will likely smile back. We mirror behavior because it facilitates um, a uh, communal or community or a social um, exchange so that, because we're social creatures. So that, yeah. that mirror neuron thing is something really you know, connected to that and interesting. I haven't fleshed out that note, but I'm going to. So that's why it's a little seedling. Oh yeah, I've, I've got loads of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Loads the, of those. I've been I've been working on mine, but you can see like I got I got some some stuff going on here. I, I started making some notes on Norse mythology, and oh lord, that's a rabbit hole of rabbit holes. Um, yes. And then I have I have some tasks in here. This is not like my like I have to doist for like the hey by the way take your medication, take your vitamins. You need to go take your car into the auto shop today. Not that stuff. What I have task wise in Obsidian like these are tasks about processing and making notes. So that's the only type of stuff is in here. This is stuff I don't have to actually do. Um, so like I have some things and then it's just based on like how difficult of an undertaking it is. And the reason I do this is because executive dysfunction with ADHD. If I look at this and I think, okay, 
I don't have a lot of energy and motivation. I want to be productive. I want to do something. I need something easy I can tackle. Maybe that will help me motivate and get some momentum to start going up this level of difficulty, but I'm not there right now. I, I'm here, so I want to take off something easy. And so I could look at that and say, okay, what's easy? Okay, I could flush out the note I have on uh, the statistical concept of the mode or something I have for speed reading, something easy. Um, but basically, it's just like rating my task difficulty so I can actually still be productive depending on what level of um, uh, what level of productivity my executive dysfunctional <laughs> let me have. How much energy you have. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of hard. It's like if a hard task might be, if I come in cold, it's like a hard task is like, by the way, go climb Mount Everest right now. What? No, it's like, okay, you're going to go and walk over, you're going to go walk three miles. And no, you're going to go, you know, do a small five mile hike. This one, you're going to climb a very tiny mountain. This one, you're going to train for a few years and climb Mount Everest or whatever the analogy you want to pick there. But like, go you got to prepare there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Need a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if I ever get that far. Uh, maps of content. This is uh, the whole. That's another giant can of worms I had to make a whole video on as well. Is, um, I don't use folders. For, like these are folders, but like these three are specifically for like Obsidian plugins and like actual utility. Like it's not like I, I'm constantly in here at all. These are actually for content production. So these are like my output folders. But for organization, I do not use folders at all. And I have a whole like note publicly available about um, ADHD and the preference for top-level structures like that that I'm not going to um, go tangent into. But <laughs> basically, maps of content, I tag them with this tag because it lets me do this. So we'll geek out about the graph in a second. But if I filter this graph to um, uh, if I filter this to a tag, which is the map tag, and I remove attachments tags and only existing files. Then I get something like this, which is basically a top-level look at all of the maps of content or the top-level areas where it says these are the main topics in your vault. And then this links to a bunch of other notes, which link to other notes, which link to other notes, et cetera. And this is like basically the blueprint of the major topic areas in my vault as they develop. And because they're all just tagged and nested around each other, I can tag something as a map or a mock note and then if it's links to any other mock notes, either as a parent child or a sibling or whatever, then it will appear in this little like, you know, neuron looking structure here. And I can easily see at a top level what my vault contains, what it looks like. And so that's why I use those specific, um, that specific tag. Yeah. Um, and that's, so uh, I'll address one of the questions very Briefly, I will actually go into the question in a second, but that's one of the things that in Notion is just not possible. It's just, you just can't do it. <laughs> um, so going, going all the way back to uh, Chitachi, I will stop sharing. So it's, uh, so you're, you're, you're cleaning your screen for the moment. Okay. Um, I'd love to know what other note-taking apps he's tried but couldn't get into and why. So you've gone, a, you've gone through a few applications there, but do you wanna, what, what, what have you tried? What, why didn't you like them? <laughs> yeah, um, I've used a variety of uh, different things and I'll try and keep my like little reviews short. Um, I've used OneNote. I really like it right now for the business context because it the whole point is reduce friction. So in a business context with what I have to work with, it is the tool that reduces the most friction at this point. 
Um, I do like how you can have image and text recognition. So if you have a picture of text in OneNote, it can actually search that text. Um, it can search through everything. You can have Microsoft Office files, like a PDF, a Word document printed out inside the OneNote. So you can actually see the document in there, which means its text is also searchable. So that really makes a very powerful searching feature for business um, contexts. I like that, I use that, but only for business. Um, for note-taking in general, I've tried, uh, I, I use Vim, I use Vim a lot. I still use Vim sometimes for just plain text processing. Vim is life. Um, <laughs> But uh, other than that, it's Obsidian uh, as well. But um, I've used Joplin, and I liked it a little bit initially. I do like how portable it is. And one really useful feature of it is that if you use Evernote, which I only did very briefly, I just never really got into it. But Evernote, if you actually export Evernote, import it into Joplin, and then export it from Joplin into Markdown, yeah, complex. But Getting things from Evernote into Markdown is a hassle, which is another reason why I will completely avoid certain applications, is if the data is not portable or easily exported to another format that I can deal with or import into another application, I'll just refuse to use it. Like, oh, you want to hold on to my data and not give me an easy way of migrating at will or dealing with my data? No thanks. So um, <laughs> Joplin, I just stopped using primarily just because it's not really feature rich. And there, there was just some stuff that I just, I don't remember exactly, but uh, I just wasn't really feeling it. And that's OK. Nothing against Joplin. It's free and open source software, which is already great. Um, and then I did use Rome for a little bit just, just to test it out, just so I, can, I can't say, like, oh, I've never even touched it, but I'm going to Rome. But um, I, I, what I don't really like it for not any reason that I can hold against them. It's just it, certain things just don't jive with the way my brain works and how I like to organize and and do things. Um, I like having my plain text files marked down and the ability to script on them, but also the way that you can structure markdown documents. Like I don't have to have an outliner. It's, it's, this doesn't have to function as an outliner. Rome yeah. is an outliner and it is rigidly structured that way because the front end mimics the database structure. Like it is basically a block, a, con a content block. This is the visual representation of how a database would be treating that information. And that doesn't really jive too much with me. And that doesn't mean that it's anything against that system. If you can really leverage Rome, it's really powerful. If you don't really encounter any of the, the drawbacks, then you know, great. If it Basically, if a tool works for you, use it. I don't care what anybody uses. Um, but yeah, uh, so I've tried those and... Have you tried Dynalist? Because uh, obviously the Obsidian creators oh. used, made that one. Um, I did poke around at the free uh, demo trial, but I haven't tried it out because, like, what would I really use it for? If I wanted to use a, an outliner, I'd really just use Obsidian now. And if I wanted to do task management, I just use Todoist. And I'm already paying for Todoist, and I don't really want to. There, there are some really cool features on the pro version of Dynalist, but it's not like anything that's really like, okay, that's cool. I would really like that. But do I really have a use case? Would this really be adding value to my life? And granted, I, I do love to just support, um, uh, I, I would just call them by their Discord handles, uh, Silver and Lycat. <laughs> um, but I would, I really would love to support them. But like, I just don't really have a use case for that particular um, application. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, my whole channel is about Obsidian and I rave about Obsidian all the time. So, I mean, I'm hopefully I'm just giving them more business and supporters that way. So, <laughs> Just, just, just pay for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so Yusuf asked me a question. He said, do you think Notion can do everything Obsidian does outside of the graph view? No. No. <laughs> it's the easy answer, no. Um, Notion as a note taker is very surface. You can take the notes. You can link notes with relations. You can yeah. filter and sort them. <laughs> yeah, you, you can filter and sort them. Um, and they do have backlinks, but they're pants. Um, so I, I would see Notion as more of a doc wiki, uh, working a, as a collaborative team, uh, working with SOPs, documenting things that's going on, or potentially linking whatever database information you have inside of Notion together. When it comes to note taking, unless you want the notes to look pretty, which is something I think Notion has over Obsidian, is Notion, it, aesthetically Notion is there, it's done, you don't need to know anything, you don't need to plug in anything, and it's it always looks nice. You don't have to go between the editor and the the what is it, editor and visual mode, whatever the modes are called. You don't Maybe, have to go yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. Um Notion works on that end. But from a, a functionality standpoint, uh, no. Uh, Obsidian just beats Notion. And I think it's the same for Ample Note, Rome, uh Dynalist to an extent, even Workflowy to an extent. Um uh out out out-functioning some of, some of the things on Notion side when it comes to just note-taking. If it's more than note-taking, then yeah, Notion starts to starts to show its power, but just just note-taking, no. Obsidian's certainly certainly better. Uh, there's, there's another one uh, down here. Actually, I want to comment on Yusuf's as well. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, I, I'm having to write things down because I don't like inter interrupting people is like one of my biggest pet peeves, so I'm, I really appreciate your interviewing style, but I also have to write it down because I'm too excited to not say something. Um, uh, as far as like uh, Obsidian versus Notion, um, I agree with pretty much every single point you said. Um, Obsidian is still beta. So like, a lot of the features that um, like Notion is vastly more uh, developed and established because they've been around longer. Um, they are a what you see is what you get type editor, which is why you can just do a forward slash blocks and then input content as like an H4 heading, as a color, whatever. In Obsidian, it's right now, uh, it's very much more like markdown code based and it needs some like manipulation with CSS and actual like semi, you know, script kitty programmer type, um, you know, approaches to get some things done. Now this works for the more technically inclined, but that means that also raises the threshold of what kind of skills you need to really make it do what you want it to do. Um, but the what you see is what you get editor is something that's really difficult to implement with markdown files, which is not what Notion is working with as a first class citizen. It's working, it can export to markdown, but that's not really how it's built. Like you can export JSON, which is um, data management um, format to markdown. But if they're doing something where it's all stored as JSON, then you can easily do that. And uh, you see you're nodding at me. <laughs> Forget the notion export markdown is just, yeah. it's nasty. It's disgusting, especially as soon as you put a database in there. Nope. Toggle blocks. Oh, yeah. Nope. Just unless it is literally a blank page with no advanced blocks, databases, or uses uh, inside of Notion. So essentially, if it's just a text document, then yes, you can export it to markdown. <laughs> if it has anything else in there, just don't bother. <laughs> and that was my experience with it because I did try Notion a couple times. Like I really wanted to like it, but um, seeing that that type of export format was one of the biggest like red flags for me. Um, but with with the databasing is that that is the one of the powers of Notion compared to Obsidian is that Obsidian is working with plain text documents, so mm -hmm. not 
databases and not the processing of databases. So that's one thing where Notion will obviously blow Obsidian out of the water. But one thing that you can replicate with that is that with iframes, you could easily embed Airtable or Trello into Obsidian. So you would still be using a, another separate application or service, but you could have it all within the same application. Um, and then as far as presentation, yeah, the what you see is what you get editor isn't here yet. So uh, right now there are two modes in Obsidian, edit and preview. Preview is like the rendered markdown, what you see in, in uh, Notion, but you can't edit in that mode yet. That might be coming. And then ultimately, uh, Obsidian is a Zettelkasten focused application first, whereas Notion was never meant originally for specifically Zettelkasten note-taking. It was meant for a variety of um, general usages and contexts, team collaboration, schoolwork, all the great Notion content you see out there, likely stuff on Danny's channel. Um, <laughs> it's meant for so many things, but Obsidian was made primarily focused on Zettelkasten first. So that's why like, there's so much power around the the blocks, links, graph, it's all focused around their core principle of settle costing and local first data. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And I think I think the only thing I would say with the with the with the the notion and the using is notion haven't built the app for any person any use case they've just built a thing that you can build what you want i mean they've actually even said it in a couple of interviews they want to build an app where you build your own app which is why it's a no code app builder which I mean, it's not an all-in-one i'm, I'm going to say it again i've said it like every stream it's not an all-in-one app it's an app that allows you to build certain things with with limitations and it does a lot of stuff very well, but not the best. Whereas Obsidian is just, I, I would say Obsidian is probably the best local storage note-taking app out there. The Brain app comes very, very close, but the user interface is disgusting. I haven't played with the Brain, but I have heard of it, but I haven't played with that one. Um, I have also played with uh, Zettler a little bit, um, but yeah, I haven't really played with too many other things like that. But um, to the point about Notion being um, really open, that's like the, the approach where if you want to have the ability to build whatever, a hammer will suffice. But if you want to perform surgery, you're going to need a scalpel. And that's where you need to get like that's those specialized tools. So where things like Rome and Obsidian are highly opinionated, they really shine that domain. But when you try to make them completely general purpose, they're going to fail. Whereas something like Notion can be general purpose and cover so many aspects of your life to like 80, 85, 90% of everything you want out of those aspects. But that last 10%, you might need a specialized tool or just a compromise. Yeah. And I think something on, on the, I, I guess you could say marketing side of Notion is because it looks nice and because everyone's space looks very similar. It's very easy to go into a Notion space and go, I'm going to replicate that. Whereas if you've got something like Roma or Obsidian, they're using CSS and you go, how do I make it look like that? And now you suddenly go down the rabbit hole of, I need to go to this community. I need to download this or upload this or understand that or go to some GitHub repo, which I'm still trying to learn. Uh, and you just, you, you just get lost and you go, I can't be bothered. And especially people that aren't tech savvy, which a lot of people that I'm finding aren't necessarily tech savvy, even when you've given them the instructions, A, B, C, D, and they just skip, skip straight to D and just like, why didn't it work? Well, you didn't do the first bit. Anyway, small rant. Uh, <laughs> it's it, Notion, I think is an easier get started and just copy paste because you've got all the, the templates that people download. Not that I like templates, but yeah, it's there. 
That's why I give away my CSS for um, people who sign up to my newsletter. I give away my, my CSS, my templates, my workflow diagrams I wrote in Mermaid Markdown code. I, I give away all of that stuff for free because people see like what I'm doing. I just give it away. And then if it's actually really easy to just get somebody's stuff versus having to customize it yourself because you really just drop the file into one folder location and you're done. So it actually is relatively simple. I haven't had any questions on how to actually implement my CSS, but uh, yeah, I, that's why like, I give it away because people see that and I don't, there's just so much good stuff out there. So like, here, you want my theme? Here you go. And in my theme, I actually comment and basically made like a table of contents in, inside the file that tells you where every single section of what does what and what is ultimately changed. Like you like these, um, if you looked at my screen or not, the, the little relationship lines in neon green. I can bring um, it back up my, if you want. Uh, if you want to. Yeah. Um, the, the like neon green relationship lines is like a really popular one that people really like. How did you get that? Well, there's a certain portion inside my theme that talks about bullet point nice stuff, how to, how to manipulate bullet points. And so all that stuff is outlined in my theme. And like, I can bring it up. Um, if I actually open up VS Code, um, I constantly am editing my theme and adding stuff and playing with it. But um, like, if we go up to the top, like I have this uh, checklist for like bullet points, bullet point relationship lines. And not only do I save like the section, so I can easily search for 2.1.1 for where this is located in this theme because this file is like 2,000 lines long. But I also link to like the forum posts, the Discord posts of where I actually got this exact code, so they can see in context and see they can see the discussions. They can or I can go back and easily grab the original CSS because I change what I find. But if you want the original to customize that, then these are the links to get it. And so like I can easily say, okay, where's that located? Find that. Okay, it's right here. And now I can see this is my CSS, my custom CSS section, two point one bullet points, and this is the relationship lines. And here it all is. And I didn't write all this from scratch. A lot of people are really great at CSS and they write this and I know enough to like change and mess with stuff, but yeah, I grab a lot of these really useful things and then I like archive them, sort them and then put them into my theme for other people to use when I give it to them. I have noticed that a lot with the, with the, the coding world is that people don't necessarily just build everything from scratch. They're like, I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that, adjust it a little bit and then all, all good. <laughs> yep. Uh, Chitachi asks about the graph view. I think we've covered the graph view quite a lot. Um, it, yeah, why exactly is the graph view a great feature? I love the visualization of how uh, notes interact and are connected to one another, but other than that, not really sure. I think Obsidian's graph view is different to Rome's graph view, and that's massively. Yeah, that, that's certainly something that I overlooked when I, because I, I looked at Rome before Obsidian and I went, graph view, it's pants, it's rubbish, it's, it's useless. Went to Obsidian, I was like, actually, no, there's quite a lot of use for it. <laughs> um, so for, for Rome, to Rome's credit though, um, there, because it's a web application, there's a lot of great things that people are doing with JavaScript and the web technologies to really expand on Rome beyond like its base functionality, just like Obsidian with plugins. So there's, I know of at least one really great um, little add-in for Rome called a uh, Rome portal that lets you have a completely 3D, like you can turn it, twist it, go in, zoom out in a completely uh, 3D model of a graph that is just based on your filtered results of content. So you can traverse a sort of graph in Rome beyond just their base graph. So that's just to like, like people say, I think I, I dislike Rome, I don't. Um, but like that's something that exists. There, there are ways of expanding on these applications. But um, 
yeah, I can definitely expand on this question if you'd like. <laughs> I mean, we've got a couple of other questions, but I think I think that the main point that I would take from the graph view when it comes to like the small features is being able to visualize everything from a, a top-down view. I think because um, I was reading through the comments as they were coming through. I think Sarah mentioned like. Look, looking over all of your your notes and then filtering for what you need or whether it's a tag like you showed earlier um if you if you weren't here for that you can just rewind because we're on youtube not on twitch <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you, you can you can look as an overview you can look for tags look for notes and you can see i, I like the, the size you can see how big something is it's one of those really small things how big a note gets with however many links go in um but yeah, is there anything anything burning that you want to be like and this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I'll show my graph right now. Um, one thing that uh, I'll get to the, the different colors now that you might be unused to seeing. But um, one thing I use the graph for a lot, a lot uh, for is because I'm more visual. Um, as somebody with ADHD, I'm more visual. So one thing I do is uh, the way I do my links and my tags is that I will tag notes with um, the bi-directional links, but I'm tagging notes that don't exist. Why do I do that? So when I do that, it's sometimes like single word phrases, like this one, psychology. I might tag a paper or an evergreen note with the psychology note, but that note doesn't exist. Why? Because I, that note is basically how I treat tags. So this is where people get really confused with how I do my system, is that tags are the hashtag, you know, these things, hashtag, the little emoji icons, that that's the actual native tag feature. And what this is useful for is seeing uh, at a high level, everything that is tagged with that, irregardless of, uh, or irregardless, oh my God, I just did that. Regardless. <laughs> regardless, thank you. I just did the American Combined thing. words together. Um, we did so that with uh, Donkey Kong, so. <laughs> Regardless of context, so this is every single evergreen note. Doesn't matter what where it came from. It could be about programming, could be about psychology, could be about farming in South Africa. It doesn't matter, um, which is useful, but also sort of not useful. What if I want to see something in a specific context? So I can say it's an evergreen note, but what if I want to see only things that are actually psychology? So now I have a psychology note here, but it doesn't exist. How does that help me? So what I can do is that over time, as I see, oh, psychology is getting a lot of links, a lot of references, which is why it's a bigger looking red node than something like over here, reputation. So I can say, okay, psychology is ready to be promoted to a map of content. If we saw that little graph earlier of the little different uh, constellations of different topic areas in my vault, I can say, ah, yes, psychology is ready to be graduated to a map of content. Now I could also say, hey, show me the backlinks to this psychology note. It's been graduated and now I can see everything that's been linked as psychology related without having to do any extra work other than make the note. And now when I go to my graph and I do my little filter for um, specifically maps of content only, now I can see that psychology will be listed right here. Now it's added and I have all the notes that link to it already made. And in this way, I'm able to easily create and manipulate the structure of my vault and my system with minimal friction and overhead, just as the structure emerges over time. So I can make a lot of notes on psychology. Okay, psychology is ready to be graduated to a actual map of content because I have a lot of stuff there and I really need to have a better organization and I don't use folders. So now I can do that. And that's how all of these different nodes exist and 
interact is that I will make them into maps of content. And then all the disparate colors going on here is a new feature in the current Insider release of groupings based on queries. So all the greens are different evergreen notes in stages of processing. But yes, that was what was burning to escape from my brain. <laughs> I, I could see it. You you were like, I'd, I'd, I need to, I need to. <laughs> yes, that's the hyperfixation. Yeah, I, I have exactly the same, and it's very it's it's very hard not to just go and and cut people off. Um, it's just something something I've said quite a few times. So uh, there's a guy that I I've streamed with previously, John, and he he always says, "Oh, I can finally get a word in edgeways." And I think my family are very very similar. Uh, we we all we all cut each other up in conversation. So if you take a breath, and there's a long enough breath that someone thinks you finished, boof. There you go. Next person's talking. Mm. Everyone cuts each other up. And we're all so used to it. And then as soon as you have a conversation with someone that's not in your family, like, oh, yeah, sorry, I, 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 I cut you up. I butt it in again. Sorry. <laughs> I literally cannot watch talk shows on television because it's it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. If people interrupting other people, it doesn't even have to be me. It it bothers me so much like it's uh, it's not even like a rational like i get irrationally upset <laughs> so like I, that's why again like i appreciate your interview style you don't interrupt me which i really like but i also know to relinquish too yeah yeah there is something when when you try and let people talk it's like how long are they going to talk for <laughs> Because I, I know everyone has, or everyone that I bring on, they're all creators in their own right, and they all have so much to share. And sometimes people are limited on time, and it's like, that's a great point. I love that point. But we... um, <laughs> ESC, great question. Has Brian thought about the possibility of Sibian for team-level knowledge repository? That's a good oh, question. hey, FC. Yes. Uh, um, I did just uh, I did just post a video about this on Monday about using uh, obsidian remotely it does it is a workaround right now it does require to have some level of experience and knowledge by using git and version control of basically just getting your vault hosted on github and uh, I did do a complete video a complete medium article step-by-step -step write up and explanation of all of the scripts and code and programming to do that but uh, once it's there, it's on GitHub and you can open it in a VS Code code space. VS Code has an extension that allows you to live share and live edit your documents with other people. And because it's all in the cloud, other people can access it. So you can do collaborative editing on an Obsidian vault um, if it's hosted on GitHub. And then if you follow my Git workflow, then those changes will be synced back to your local um, vault repository and that will all just be automatic. But if it does require a lot of workaround, non-native functionality, and technical shenanigans to actually get it done, but it is possible. <laughs> I, I I like that. I like that. I like the the disclaimer at the end because that's something I've I've mentioned quite a few times inside of Notion and other applications is uh, just because it's possible. Just just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I, I I don't know how many how many teams you'll probably know the environment better than me. How many teams currently use Obsidian as a as a note taking space? Are there many, or is it more personal personal note takers? I haven't really seen anybody. I want to say maybe I have a faint memory of one person talking about it, but I don't really think too many people are actually using it in a collaborative team aspect because the version control of that would be really kind of tricky without something like a strict GitHub type version control, which is um, not like 
live editing. Like if we can easily just open up a SharePoint instance of a Word document and edit that live together collaboratively, that's much more beneficial than having to do a git commit for every single comma you want to add to a document. So again, reducing the friction. Um, yeah. it, likely in a business context, they're just going to stick with Microsoft products if they can afford that. But I haven't really heard too many people doing that, no. Yeah, that, and that's that's one of the things that obviously I mentioned earlier with the, the, the wiki doc SOP style with Notion is because it's just is a cloud page. You can just go in and do whatever and you can get rid of something that someone else has literally just written, which I experienced so much and it's so annoying. <laughs> one thing that you could do, I guess, is that um, if, if you are going to do like a just basically a team wiki knowledge base with bi-directional linking, you could just do uh, one of those like GitHub pages type of publishing um, things like Jekyll or there's a, several other uh, tools that people are using right now to basically take their markdown files and then present them as a aesthetically pleasing web page that's statically hosted by GitHub, but does have the links to the information. It is a little bit slower than live editing, but you could, I guess, just live edit a document together and then put that document into your quote unquote final production vault and then have that displayed through uh, you know pushing it to your remote repository. But yeah, it really just depends on how technical you want it to be, how much work, how much friction, what's your use case, there's way too many variables going on. <laughs> that, that's that, that's this whole like tech industry though. It depends yeah. on all of these things. That's like, that should be like the motto for the tech industry. It's just on a giant flag, quote unquote, it depends. <laughs> what language should I learn in 2020? It depends. The whole of The whole of academia is exactly the same. I, I I can't, I mean, the whole time I was doing any lectures, presentations, I was presenting or whether I was listening to someone present, they'd say loads of stuff, you'd ask a question and it always comes down to, it depends, here's the factors, here's the case studies, here's the research and it always ended up with, we don't know, we need more research. <laughs> You're just yeah. like, yeah, okay, fine, fine. Uh, Andy asked, I'm not, I'm not sure, um, because I, I know you've gone over your to-dos in Obsidian, so I'm not sure whether Andy's... Uh, I haven't seen anything further explaining that he he sort of got it um, as to how you handle your to-dos in Obsidian. But from my understanding, if, if I've got this right, you handle your note-taking to-dos in Obsidian, but your main actionable tasks in Todoist. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I'll share my screen briefly. I won't ramble too long about this one. Um, let me know when you're showing. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So um, I do have to-dos in Obsidian specifically for um, the note-taking type of to-dos. And those are um, things tagged like this. And so you can see them here. These are strictly note-taking. And one thing I can do with these ones is I do have a uh, query-based Kanban board inside here, which is really just um, a markdown table with block references to queries. So basically a table of just the results of a search. And so this is for like my actual evergreen note taking stage process to-dos, but I also have one for actual to-do items, which shows me this type of a Kanban view of the different note-taking to-dos. Now, if I'm gonna do something more personal, it's gonna be in Todoist, and it's you know not related to note-taking, or maybe it's just quick capture for note-taking, that's in Todoist. But one thing you can do, um, I can't really show it, actually, I can't show that, because um, it does have personal info, is that there are two, um, two plugins that are, the day planner plugin, uh, day planner, uh, where is it there? And this one will actually let you schedule your day 
and show you in a panel like your actual day as you go through it through using a scheduled time. But there's also a plugin for um, Todoist to actually sync your Todoist items into Obsidian. So in my daily note, I actually see my today view. Um, you can set it to whatever. You can even do certain queries. But I have an actual today view for my today's tasks in my daily note that actually show in my uh, my daily note in Obsidian. And if I click the little checkbox item in my daily note, it actually does sync to Todoist and it does let me complete my items from within Obsidian. So if I wanted to just have it in Todoist, but then only be working in Obsidian, that is totally and completely possible. But that's basically what I do is I have you know note-taking to-dos, but also my personal stuff, but they all technically do appear and are managed in Obsidian. It's it's interesting that you you brought that Kanban view up because obviously I think that was the stream where you uh, you broke <laughs> you broke it and you made it crash. Yeah, I think that that was because um, I think if if it was an external query on another file, it starts recursively searching for itself, and so that causes a race condition or some technical term for it continually finds a result and ends up using up all available memory and it just freezes. But I think if I have that query in this same file, it's only going to find itself in there once and then it's gonna be done. So I think that's what my issue was. I was trying to put the queries in external files for neatness of the note and that's why I crashed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was watching the stream and I was thinking, I don't, I don't see how, cause in my head, I was like, how's that gonna work? And then it crashed and I was like, okay, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, but I was like, I don't think this is gonna work. And it didn't work. I was like, yeah, I don't know why. It just didn't feel right to me. I was like, I feel like you're pushing, <laughs> pushing the boundaries of the app, which I mean, that's, that's exactly what I do, so. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's exactly, I mean, so I, I don't know whether you know this. I, I mentioned this quite a, quite a lot actually thinking about this, but Notion has inline maths, latex maths. And you can basically make boxes of colors with the inline math. So pixel art. I made Mario in Notion. <laughs> That's awesome. Why? Because I can. I got halfway through Luigi, so he's currently like cut off at the head. Um, but yeah, I was like, it's I fun. like that because I can. <laughs> exactly. If you wanted to talk about uh, LaTeX and uh, colors, I have actually, I just, I did a, a very long video about it, but. I do have some interesting uh, stuff going on with that. Mm. And I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm gonna make sure I'm I'm at the end of all the chat questions. I, I see uh, Sarah and Andy have been talking. Rome attributes plus tables. Obsidian doesn't have the equivalent of attributes, does it? Mm, I'm unfamiliar with Rome attributes. What that what that means actually. Uh, so the attributes are like, uh, they're kind of pages in themselves where you, at the top of the page where you do all the meta, meta description, you can put the name, two colons, and then whatever it happens to be. So for example, tags, you click on the attribute and it gives you all of the tags. It's like its own page. Mm -hmm. um, and they're planning on combining that with tables and querying and all the other fancy features that Rome's got later on that, down the line. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they have anything explicitly like that. There might be a few, maybe small pieces you could, again, massive work around your way into getting, but yeah, I, I don't think they have anything like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> a, a guy I've streamed with previously, yeah. Um, I streamed with John for about three months consistently, like every week, and did a podcast, well, <laughs> doing a podcast with him, and I was just like, yeah, guy, John, you know. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I, d I mean, Brian, did you did you know that I streamed with John, that I've worked with John quite a lot? 
Mm -mm, uh, John who? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that as an insult. Like, I don't know who, who this John is. Yeah, um, so John Stewart, Jonathan Stewart, don't try and Google him because you won't find him because <laughs> obviously there's loads of John Stewart's out there. So he's competing for everything. Uh, either, I can't remember what he's called his website now because he's done a couple of rebrandings, either business, business in Notion or um, simplifying your business. Um John, John Notion on YouTube, you should find him and then you can find his channel. Um, Notion Nerds podcast is obviously both of us talking, but yeah. So yeah, John, John's struggling to get himself ranking next to the comedian, uh, the professional uh, American football player and the other massive profile, Jonathan Stewart's. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I see the podcast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> he should have his website linked somewhere there. But yeah, if if not, go onto the the Notion no podcast YouTube channel, and then the the link will be in the description there. But yeah, so he's yeah, I, I've streamed with him loads. <laughs> we're we're also very very similar. So I I feel like we're on. It was on Twitter earlier today. Actually, Ugh, I told you scroll moment on Twitter earlier today. Uh, Tom Solid. I don't know whether you're familiar with Tom. Uh, mm. He tweeted uh, like uh, uh, Power Rangers emoji saying i found the, the the people of twitter and it's like me john layla and someone else that he'd interviewed on his on his stream well podcast stream and we were just like yep we're all tech nerds <laughs> <laughs> um and i i feel like there's a sorry no go ahead i, I was gonna say i feel like there's a a, a small a small community that I see sort of like growing in like the, the, the nerdy tech app space. Cause obviously you've got Francesco from keep productive, mm -hmm. uh, Scott from simpletivity and then Steve from Dotter tech with the main, main three, three big people with the, the apps. And then there were just loads of other small creators with really good at this one app, this one app, this one app, but they didn't really like talk <laughs> from what I saw, uh, like publicly. And I feel like they're sort of people are starting to make connections and I can start seeing, well, I, I'm seeing more collabs. Maybe it's just because I'm doing them. Um, like I'm, I'm speaking with loads of people, and uh, but John's now doing some stuff with Layla, and I've seen other people like John's now doing it with Tom. Tom's now working with Layla, so I can see a a graph view appearing. <laughs> yeah, I did um, at least one talk with uh, Francesco, and hmm. yeah, it's it's really cool on Twitter because like, now I've, I'm starting to get like notifications of people adding me to their like. PKM lists and I'm like, oh, I've reached that level. Cool. <laughs> I, I've, I, th I think about forty percent of my notifications are you've been added to this person's Notion list. <laughs> well, now that everyone has Notion resonance calendars, they're all like, ah. <sighs> Pretty much, I can't stand the resonance calendar. I did a whole video about how I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> the resonance calendar is literally. Um, a brain dump is all it is. It's just it's loads of stuff. Basically, your raindrop <laughs> is is the the notion's re resonance calendar. Yeah, For the raindrop though. I try to like filter out like this is what I actually care about. This is like a okay. That's not nah. put that in the corner and call it ugly. <laughs> yeah, um, Ali even said it when I th I think it was like three months after he did the video. He was saying because he was exploring Rome. And I think it was during his like 
Rome honeymoon period, he was like, yeah, the Notion resonance calendar wasn't really doing anything with it. So now I'm using Roman. I'm doing all these backlinks and blah, blah, blah. And then like a month later, he's like, actually, no, I'm actually back using Notion. <laughs> like, Ali, be consistent. You're losing everyone. Um, but I, I but assume hey, you... I, I bet the ad revenue is good. I mean, it's, it's note-taking applications. So I would imagine his ad revenue is probably the same as his, his vlogs and the rest of it, which is not as high as uh, some other video topics you can pick. I mean, I don't know what the ads are like on your channel, but I'm quite open with my mind sit around 15 to 20 CPM per video just because it's project and task management. Whereas mm -hmm. Ali has said in his video, it's like five. So my CPM is three times the amount. <laughs> yeah, mine's about the same. I think my my best videos are the the my comprehensive workflow, my the the Obsidian versus Rome one, which I don't really do any type of stuff anymore because I'm not really super versed in Rome, so I'm not really talking about it much anymore because I don't have like a, a frame of reference to really do comparisons. But that one, and then a couple about my workflows for note taking and yeah, those, yeah, 15, sometimes CPM is pretty nice. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's funny, the videos that have higher CPMs typically have lower views because they're not as interested, but those people, <laughs> like, that's the videos. like a vid some of the videos that have done really, really well on my channel, really low CPM, but loads of people want to watch it. So mm. Sarah, you're, you're just everywhere. <laughs> I was surprised when she like popped into my Discord server. I checked out her Twitter. And I'm like, holy crap! You're like way bigger than me on Twitter. <laughs> I it's funny. I use Twitter, but I I I don't publicly use Twitter that much. I post a little bit here and there, but it's like random stuff. And at the moment, it's about chess because I'm interested in chess and it's just hey, it's fun. Um, but most of my Twitter is all like DMs behind the scenes talking with people. <laughs> I think. Twitter is kind of dangerous for me because I'm really, because it's really easy to get, you know, quick interactions, quick notifications, lots of notifications. So it's really like bing, 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 bing. And so like with, with ADHD, I get caught up in that and that in that constant flood. So TikTok and Twitter are like really bad for me, but I really like them, which is also really bad for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I... I mean, there, there are so many people talking, social media is bad, notifications are this, and insert whatever clickbaity thumbnail title and the rest of it, and they're all saying the same stuff. Um, and it's just funny how they all talk about it, but they don't actually do anything themselves about it. And you you go to their, their actual social media platform, you're like, you've just been active on Twitter for the last three hours, but you did a video <laughs> saying it's bad. <laughs> well, actually, the CPM was good. Yep. Yeah, that, that must be it. <laughs> the views, the algorithm loved it. I basically have notifications turned off on every single application so I don't get pinged about stuff from my phone, but I will you know, go and click on the applications and go look at them. But I try to make sure that things are not easily like yanking my attention from something. But if I'm in there, then it's like, okay, well, I'm already in the application, so fire away. Interesting. I don't have any notifications on my on my laptop, so I'm using my laptop and then an old computer screen. Um, but I have all of the notifications. So I have every application on my phone, but my phone's on mute, so I never see anything until I click the on button. So I haven't turned it on like at all during the stream because I know as soon as I turn it on, there's going to be at least a hundred there from literally anything everywhere, and I can't not go through them. It's similar to like an email inbox when you have that like that one notification. I can't I can't leave it there. I have to 
have to see it. <laughs> I don't even have the push notifications on, so I don't see the little red numbers. I don't see any like pop-ups like, hey, somebody sent you an email. I, I don't see anything. I don't get email notifications, social media. I get next to no notifications on my phone, but I constantly do check those applications, but that means that my interval of checking them is drastically reduced because I don't get pinged to go and go into that application every time I get something. It's just, oh, hey, uh, I'm gonna go check that, my email. Okay, swipe, 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 I'm done. And then I don't check it for like a half an hour or whatever. Um, but for like email, I am like, I'm, I'm convinced, I don't have any diagnosis, but I'm convinced I have some level of OCD because I am incredibly, uh, I don't know if I can say that word on stream, but like I'm, I really need to make sure that things are completed end to end. I will read a book from beginning to end, even if I hate it just out of spite that I've already started it and I have to finish it. But with email, I need to have an inbox zero. So I've always like, even if I've had to write my own scripts and code to do it, I will write automations so that I can easily file and deal with things. I can just click a button and then all of my selected emails go to this folder or whatever. Like I write my own stuff to do this, but I cannot have emails in my inbox. I cannot have unfinished things. I cannot have notifications. I need to make sure everything's gone and clean and clear. So I turn that shit off so that I can't see it. Yep. Yeah. It's okay swearing, by the way. Just okay. I kind of <laughs> dropped that one. I just said the other thing. Ah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, live streams on YouTube aren't aren't YouTube don't love the live streams anyway. So uh, <laughs> they just don't like the actual live is great, but as soon as you've done the live stream, YouTube's like nah. Like people don't go to YouTube to watch a, a one, two, three hour stream that was like a month old. Um, well, they seem to do that if it's my note taking streams, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah, it's funny. My best video is one of my streams and it's it's my webcam because I didn't have a camera at the time. So it's, it's awful graphics and it was a stream. Uh, and that one, the the stream is the best video because it's a video on my channel it's like three hours 15 minutes and it's the best performing video and stream on my channel most of the other streams though are just really bad performing so it's definitely the type of stream i reckon but the conversations are what's fun yeah i feel like, I'm it's like fun a, yeah i feel like the webinar the webinar style streams or the the educational style streams potentially could do well but yeah yeah okay so ne next question, I've, I've been like, do I, do I ask, do I not ask? <laughs> um, when, it, when it comes to education, obviously we, we spoke about beforehand and you maybe doing a PhD, maybe not. Um, when it comes to using applications in the future, moving forwards into the future with AI script code, whatever it happens to be, where where do you want to where do you want applications to go where do you see applications going where where what would you what would be your so sarah mentioned it earlier what would you be your ideal toolbox app environment what what features would you want to see in an app or in a toolbox in a, a group of things that potentially are missing now or you'd want to see moving forwards mm. um I would definitely like to see like just complete implementation in everything of natural language processing for dates, times, and scheduling. Um, the I would like pretty much everything to have like code IDE IntelliSense. So if I'm typing a word, try to figure out what word I'm actually trying to go for, so I can just hit tab and go to the next word immediately. 
Um, uh, I would like probably the like my mind. Like if if you've seen Shu Omi's video on my mind, I like the way that it just will easily pick out um, tags and uh, metadata about like it's a picture. It's a picture of a cat, so it's going to tag it with picture, cat, image, whatever that type of stuff, so that I can basically replicate my tagging system. That would be really useful. Um, and then uh, I just had another another one. Um, Mm, it got away. But uh, there's a lot of stuff about that type of thing where I can reduce friction because I don't have to deal with manually messing with metadata, scheduling, the details that are unimportant that I, I can easily just say, like, next Tuesday. And I just have somebody else say, okay, that's going to be mm, 14th, 15th, 16th. Okay, February 16th. It's like, I don't need to figure that out. I just say, next Tuesday, do the thing. Okay, well, there, there we go. And it's there, done. Um, things to reduce friction, honestly, are probably like what I would really value the most and getting the little details out of the way. But um, just to give a quick shout out, there's um, an editor, I'm not sure if you've seen anything about it, but the Codex editor, um, the guy who's working on that, I had, I'm, I'm supporting him on Patreon. The stuff that he's doing and like the what he's doing with Neo4j databases in the back end of the node application and what that allows you to do is utterly insane. Like I have never seen anybody else do anything like what he's doing. The paradigms that he's working with, with how he thinks about uh, notes, how to process annotations, how to deal with that in the database structure, but also how that helps the front end user. A lot of the really cool futuristic type of functionalities that we maybe aren't even thinking about or are just beginning to grasp, he's already working on them, like in beta. And it's going to be really exciting. I had an interview with him as a patron. Uh, there's going to be some really cool stuff coming from what he's working on. And even if it's not from that application, the stuff that he's going to be inspiring by what he puts out is going to be a, probably another big wave in the PKM space of what's possible with these applications. That's exciting. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that. I will. I'll have to have a, a dig. I have to have a dig into that one. I think. <laughs> He's he's really big on Twitter. Uh, well, he's mo he's really active on Twitter. It's uh, the Codex Editor, and yeah, he's hard to miss. And if you really want to um, make nice, send him some reference to, references to Frank Herbert's Dune. Awesome. Okay. Okay. I'll have to I have to keep an eye on that. It's funny you mentioned Xiaomi because um, I'm currently talking with him about him coming on stream as well. Uh, he's got some stuff going on but I, I watched his video earlier i i assume you said um mind oh wow what's the app mind my mind um, yeah my mind um i was i got the last bit uh <laughs> yeah because i watched that video or a video that he put out earlier was it earlier today i watched it like a minute after because the notification came off my phone i just happened to have a look i was like oh look, there is um and i watched it and i thought there are some really nice features in there but as an overall application i don't know whether i'd want to use that Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm finding, exploring all of these apps, going through Nitoto with Sheepzilla. <laughs> um, there are some really nice features of applications. And I'm like, I like that one feature. Can I just bring that and put it in there? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of like, it's again, like I think of it like you have some applications that are really just like kitchen knives. They can cut, they can cut anything. You can take it anywhere, it can cut anything. But if you need to perform surgery, you need to get that scalpel. And then you have all these different scalpels and different other specialized tools around. But if you wanted those all in one place, if you wanted a Swiss army knife for all of those surgical tools, 
that doesn't really exist yet. Or if it does, it's just not fleshed out enough to have enough of those things to really like take over. Mm. Yeah. Do you reckon that would even be possible? Cause I've, I've brainstormed no. this a couple of times with, yeah, it's like the logistics I don't think would be possible. Um, from I, think two... and... Sorry. Uh, I think you run into two main problems at least. One of them is you're trying to accommodate everybody, which just like in social interaction never works. If you try to make everybody happy, you make nobody happy. But then you also run into the issue of the technical aspect of you're going to end up having an overly bloated program that just is slow, is massively large, takes up too much processing, can't run on everyone's computer. Like that's one of the beauties of Linux is that it's so minimal that it can literally run on anything. You can run it on a freaking microwave. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and I just remember what I what else to answer Sarah's question again is um, I haven't done it or used it because it's really expensive. But Devin Think. I've seen some like rate I, things about it, about like the AI features for searching and recommending different items and sources and whatever. Um, I don't know enough about it because I haven't used it, obviously. But I'd like to know more about that, and then maybe that's some like type of stuff that could be worked in as well. But yeah, as far as AI goes. Okay. Yeah, it's so Danny not reading the questions. I don't have any questions. I don't write down questions <laughs> scott asked me this after the stream a couple of days ago he said there were some really good questions in there did you plan those beforehand i said no <laughs> any question that comes to mind comes to mind while either they're talking or when my brain goes off on a tangent because i can't i don't know whether whether you're the same i can't focus on what someone's saying if my brain goes elsewhere so i'm listening in the background going yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. My brain's like elsewhere. And then I sort of like circle back round and go, yes. And then I can carry on that conversation whilst remembering whatever, whatever else it was. And then it sort of just, it, it sits there in like a, a weight. <laughs> have you ever thought that maybe you might have ADHD tendencies? Um, it's funny you mention that. I, every therapist I have spoken to and every lecturer teacher I've had has said, I should be tested for autism, Asperger's and ADHD and then OCD and then insert loads of other things as well. Mm -hmm. And my blanket approach to all of them is a label isn't going to change anything. So I probably am one of, if not more of them, but I don't know. And I have no intention of really being tested because I don't see any benefit in knowing and it doesn't really change anything. It's just a, a label um but yeah that, that's that's me <laughs> uh but yeah john john said the same uh, and i think a lot of people in the i wouldn't say in the in the the note-taking community but in the in the this sort of like tech nerdy tech community where they're exploring applications looking at features and really diving deep in things um are unique individuals. I don't think there's like a, a gen pop. Let's all dive into an application similar to Obsidian Rome or whatever it happens to be. I think there's there's a type of person um, that that thrives in these sort of environments. Uh, yeah, trying to be as political as I can there because uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> okay, I love Brian's answers. So do I. So do I. Uh, because they are so unique but make complete sense some of the pkm productivity convos can sound the same i can and and that's why i brought this comment up because i saw the end of it productivity conversations 
I I don't want to throw Ali under the bus. I know I know someone mentioned earlier, like I respect him and all the stuff he does, but some of the the resonance calendar is a little bit off. With Ali's live streams, they're not QA, they're not chit chat, and it's very much a him talking to someone else with business, even though they're productivity streams. I don't know whether you've watched them much. A little bit. Yeah, and a lot of the other productivity streams I see, they're not they're not in the trenches. They're not sort of like the the the, the muddy, dirty. It's it seems very polished from from what I've seen. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, it could just be that uh, that they just don't have the time to really dive deep into complete optimization of a system and understanding all the parts, or they don't care to, and they're just the the ideal end user. Like they care to use this well enough for the purposes they want to use it for, and are maybe less concerned with exactly how this works and how to tweak it and mess with it and push it to the edges and then figure out new and cool ways of using it because why do you need new and cool ways if it does what you need it to do and it helps you facilitate content production, run your business and get get all these things out of your way so that you can more, more effectively live your life doing what you would prefer to be doing, which might not be diving into note-taking applications like me. Or you? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, and any app to be honest. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. Layla asked me, "Why don't you look at like image editing apps like Photoshop?" And I'm like, "Because I don't know what half the buttons would do, even if I did click on them." <laughs> it's like, uh, and speaking of roundabout thinking, auto hotkey is something that I've I've been using for a while, doing small things here and there. I've recently, like as of today tried to combine auto hotkey with Notion and the, the slash table commands and things like that. Do you use auto hotkey text expander or something equivalent? Um, I've had um, AHK on my, my list. Um, I've had several people because I did a lot of my channel's content on Arch Linux, which is as about as customizable as you can get a computer system to be. And um, there was a lot of stuff I had set up on there that I, I didn't set up personally, but it's really customizable. And so when I moved over to Mac for a variety of reasons that I made a video about, um, a lot of things were suggested to me to replicate a lot of the behavior I had grown accustomed to and really enjoyed, like tiling window management, um, hotkey assigning, and other other types of uh, functionality. But um, I one of the reasons I got this MacBook is that I also do not have the time to set aside to granularly customize a system as much as I would like to, which I plan to on, my, on an Arch Linux computer. Uh, but I don't have time or the bandwidth to do that now. So what I used instead is um, I have a little app for tiling window management instead of like everyone's recommending like Yabai or something for tiling window management. I'm just using something called Rectangle. It's free. And um, for hotkey stuff, uh, I am using Alfred because of Ali, but there's also, um, I'm using a lot of other stuff that about it that he doesn't use. So like uh, I've made some of my own custom workflows or I use others and I modify them. There's one for Obsidian that I actually use a lot of. Uh, I use it daily for mostly um, messing with my daily notes, but you can also do some other stuff with it. But um, yeah, I mainly rely on Alfred for text expansion and some stuff like that. And then in Obsidian, um, I really have a lot of templates that do a lot of um, that type of stuff for me. So for text expansion, I kind of rely a lot on templates and Alfred, um, including my LaTeX stuff that uh, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that, that is certainly something, when I went into Obsidian, it's certainly something that, because it's 
markdown because it's just text you can have templates of essentially a text expander with with the templates mm -hmm. i haven't explored that drastically um because i use auto hockey anyway so it was all the things that i was typically typing like my youtube channel the twitter the email the the, the really obvious things that you just can't be asked to type out um i, I already have those in there so i didn't want to make it like a template just for that that's what auto hockey is for um but having templates in obsidian very useful and I'm, I'm going to be using more of them i see yusuf has um just said all right i'm moving to obsidian right now <laughs> uh brian's channel is linked in description just go there find out what you need <laughs> um and uh, i i mean i'm i'm still learning obsidian but it's it's got a it's got a a sense of security that rome doesn't have which is what drags me to it plus it's not however expensive rome is now it's free Exactly. So, so do you do? You, so you mentioned you have features that are on the whatever plan it is. Is that because there's there's two plans you can pay for Obsidian to support the creators, but they also give you like, is it beta access or is it just things coming out early? Because you mentioned in the graph view. Um, so what? Yeah. yeah. Um, you can pay to be a, a supporter or an insider. It's like varying levels of, of money. And then you can pay to be a VIP. Um, if you pay even just for the lowest level of support, you get these insider releases. I just paid for the highest level one just because show my support and I get the cool little VIP badge. So yeah. But um, yeah, if you go even just pay the smallest amount, you can get the insider features and you just get uh, it sometimes is one to four different minor releases in one go can be insider releases. It's mostly just for like early testing. We find the bugs, we report them, they get fixed. And then when they're stable enough, they get released. But we also get the, to show off and use the most cutting edge features. And one of them is, um, and I will show my screen now. Do, do, do. That accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that shouldn't have, have come out there. <laughs> uh, uh, are you good to share? Huh? Are you clean to share, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So one of the new features is um, the different color groups in the graph view. And this is set for my global graph, but you can also set this for a local graph. And so what this will do is it'll find a specific, um, all, the, all the results of a query. So like on my Kanban board, we have queries for like this tag. All these results are for this tag, things tags with that tag. Well, the same thing goes, but for any sort of query search, which Obsidian has um, different content type queries, or look for the entire note, look for a tag, look for different things. And for each of these queries, all the results that you get from that, you can then assign a color. And so this is how I've set up my um, graph to show different colors. So for instance, if I'm just looking at this, I know that the, the dull reds are my tag notes that don't really exist yet. Um, those are actually templates there, but, um, uh, like this one, like that's a tag note that doesn't exist yet. And uh, like the psychology thing I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. um, the bright red is actually my daily notes and I link them all to each other sequentially. So like the prior day, so uh, November 3rd, 2nd, 1st, you know, I link them all like that. And then I also have weekly notes that will then, you know, connect to all the notes in that week. So you get this like weird looking structure that way. Um, and then I also have all these blues are just attachments, yellows are tags, and then the white is just normal notes. And that's what my graph looked like previously. And um, I actually have a history of my graph's history um, here. So you can see my graph developing over time. Like this is like day one, 
This is uh, week 12, and this was five months. And this is what it looked like before this uh, feature rolled out relatively. And now with the feature, I also have additional colors. So orange is like any of these like output folders or my utility tags or my utility notes, which is just things like top of mind or um, oh yeah, other stuff. And then the greens are like my actual evergreen notes in whatever stage of processing. So like these really green, light green ones are like things that are not really fleshed out, they're seedlings. And then the dark green ones are more evergreen. Ha ha, evergreen. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, purple is my actual inputs, literature notes or just other input note things. So although those are all the purple ones and then oranges, yeah, whatever. So you mentioned you have your, your journal linked together is that you have the next like so for example today you would put a link for today in like tomorrow to make that link backlink or is it one of the the features in there that's that's going on i don't want you to obviously share your journal if it's yeah <laughs> private thing so i won't share my journal um and i can't put this into preview mode otherwise my todoist tasks will show but um what i do here is um when i actually insert this template what I'm going to be doing over time is I haven't reached a full year yet, but when I reach the point, which is like in April of my first journal entries, when I started doing this is that this will actually show me for uh, the daily note for 2020 on this day. So if it was February 13th, if this would actually show me February 13th in 2020. So this way I can actually see this day in prior years as I continue to use this system. But then um, this is just my reminder that because it, the functionality doesn't really exist um, in the base template uh, feature, I'm sure I could manipulate the template or plugin to do this. But what I actually have is um, doing control P will actually activate the day planner if I was using it. I honestly have not even been using it, so I don't even know why I still have it in there. <laughs> but um, the date expansion is my Alfred snippet that will just do that and it will expand to show me yesterday here's today, and then here's tomorrow. And so when render, this would actually show me, um, I'll just cut this so I can actually just render this because I just want to show you guys. So when I render it, it'll actually show me this. And then, so you put that snippet inside your journal entry. So it's got today and tomorrow. Yep. Is that right? Yep, I just expand that. Um, I just remind myself to run comma date, and then I run that and then Alfred will actually um, uh, run that snippet for me, which duh, 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 obsidian date there. So like this little Alfred snippet will actually do that and it will um, give me yesterday and tomorrow. Nice, I'm sure I can find a way for AHK to do it. <laughs> yeah, the date manipulation isn't really a hard thing. It's just that it was just easier to do that in Alfred given that I use it for so many things already than mm -hmm. to like try to manipulate um, the template or plugin or other stuff to do it. And then I also have a weekly note where I do the same thing, but where it will give me um, the prior seven days. So I just run this on Sunday and it will give me a list of all those days with bullet points. And I just write the highlights for each of those daily notes on my weekly note. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question about the weekly, weekly notes. Do you do it monthly as well or is it just days and weeks? Uh, just days and weeks. Uh, I don't really see a need to do it any more frequently than that. It's like it's not like I'm really going back through those either. It's just kind of like, hey, weekly I can remind myself, hey, this was this was a pretty good week. I got a lot done or whatever. Yeah. So obviously I don't want you to go into your journal, but what do you link pages and ideas and things that you're doing inside your base with your journal with all those backlinks and stuff? Um, 
I'll, I'll uh, stop sharing so it's just us two. Um, so do you link, for example, psychology as a note, would you put psychology in your journal if you were talking about it or is that not what your journal's for? Journal's just a, this is what I've done today, tasks and things. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit more liberal with what I'm showing in the journal or what I'm putting in the journal, but um, most of what I put into there is just like, hey, here's literally my day. It's kind of like a personal diary, but um, in that is like, hey, um, I actually read this really cool article today, link to the article. And so now my daily note, that temporal component, something related to time, I can say, hey, three weeks ago, this journal entry, I read this note or this, um, this uh, article. This article gave me some note ideas. So following my, my literature note, my note production workflow, it basically all trickles down from the daily note, which is that, that uh, temporal component. So I can say in a, in a chronological order, these days occurred, and on these days, I read these things, these things gave me these ideas, and it just goes from there. So that way I can see like, when something was produced, but also my actual input notes are tagged with a, tagged, their names begin with a certain symbol, an ampersand, a brace, uh, a paren, whatever. And what that does is that when I open up the, um, the search bar, the quick switcher, if I just typed in a brace or a paren, it'll only show me things that begin with those. So that way it's already, I'm already filtering my search to, I only wanna see books. I only wanna see podcasts without even using tags yet. So with tags, I could also say statuses. I only wanna see um, tags that are incomplete or, or completed or whatever. But I can open Quick Switcher, I can see only books. And then I can I also put a date that I finished reviewing, reading, listening to, processing that item. So it would be, okay, paren, a date. And it shows me those dates. So it actually, in the Quick Switcher, it sorts them chronologically as well. So that way I can see books sorted by when I process them and then the titles of those books. I can go to those books. There we go. There's all my literature notes. Those literature notes also contain the links to the actual produced evergreen seedling incubator evergreen notes. And then I can actually go and look at those as just one way of chopping and slicing up searches and um, output sets from those searches. It's again, just all kinds of ways of manipulating metadata. So is that another one of the, I guess you could say, workarounds, um, adding the symbol before whatever it is that you've, whether it was you or you got an idea from someone somewhere, is that something that you do to help uh, get through all of the data? Because obviously taking loads of notes, <laughs> it needs to be a way to, to sift through it all. Um, no, um, sorry to be ADHD about it, but uh, can we just go back to the screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, so it's really just, it's not a, a really a workaround about anything because you could totally do this with native functionality. It's just, this is just how I kind of prefer to do it. Um, and it's just something convenient for me. So like I could just easily go and say, hey, uh, we got nested tags. So here's all my books, inputs, books. Okay, there's all my books. Great, they would still, actually this is a bad example. Let's go to articles. Um, articles, and then now they're, they're still sorted chronologically. So this is exactly the same result I'm seeing. It's just, I didn't want it in this panel maybe, uh, because I can also, instead of doing like query searches with actual content, like I, I could say um, effective, okay, so that, that would work, but I really just like the interface of just saying, hey, I wanna see articles, effect, okay, there we go, and I can easily arrow to whichever one, I can see the date, whatever, or I wanna see everything in 2020, and then only in uh, September, there we go, and there's everything that I care about, about articles. And because it's fuzzy searching, it works good enough. It's just 
it's just another convenient way of doing it. Um, yeah, because I could totally do that with tags. And yeah, it's just, again, it's just, there are multiple ways to do the same action. And it's just, it's a nice way of also having that split up because you never know when some other piece of functionality might actually help you leverage one part of that uh, functionality better. So because those file names are set up that way, I could easily do something where I could search with a command line utility, everything with a regular expression that begins with a, a paren or a brace and then do something with the command line with that. So it's really just how many ways can I give it easy metadata? And then uh, when it comes to capturing things like seedlings, uh, I'll show you my meta template here. The template I have for um, basically any brand new note. So if I have a brand new note, I will just say, okay, make a new note. Um, I could just do that with command N. There, there's a new note. I would give it a title. This is my note. And, um, and then inside of this note, it's now created, but it's gonna get lost. How do I find this thing later on? There's no way of finding it now. So now I insert my meta template, which is just basically, I'm gonna make an evergreen note, something that will eventually become one. There's my template for it. And then it just evolves over time. It's basically just give it a seedling tag. Here's the title as a bi-directional link to itself. And then some tags I might give it, you know, uh, so, yeah, what did I do there? Psychology. There, there's a there's a tag. Where did I get this note from? I got it from that one book or that one article I read. What is that article? Start off with a paren. Oh, here's all my articles. When did I read it? I read it in 2020. Okay, there it is, that article. Now it's linked. Now I have the reference to where I got it from. What it might be related to this, uh, this idea? Hmm, I wonder. Let's say the hedonic treadmill, but also something like, um, I remember something around ADHD. It was about hyper-focus. What, what am I thinking of? Fuzzy searching helps me. Hyper-focus. Oh, there we go, there. And so I can easily fuzzy search, link the things this way. Now this note is ready to be even further fleshed out and now I can just put my content in there. Oh, but I don't like the title of this note. I wanna change this. Uh, this is a better title, but I don't have to change it in here. I can just say, there we go. And because it's bi-directionally linked to itself, it, the title updates itself. I'm now ready for this to actually be um, a better, um, it's, it's now an evergreen note. It's fleshed out, we got some content in it, it's ready to go. I can say evergreen and there, now it's an evergreen note. And I can find this on my graph or in a search or wherever. And that's basically my note-taking process uh, really sped up. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure some people appreciated that though. Um, so with the with the notes that you have there, um, with, the, with the reference, with the date, you've got the date, that, is that the date in the title of the note? Yeah, so yeah. if I uh, went to my um, articles there, uh, articles. The date is actually the date I finished reading or processing the item. So if I'm currently reading something, like the, um, this one actually shouldn't have the date yet. So actually that's incorrect there. Um, but like these ones, I have no dates in the title because I still haven't finished processing them. But also I have the tag that says, hey, you haven't finished processing these. When I finished reviewing it, um, it won't actually say that date either. It'll actually have the date I finished reading it there. So um, this one, again, won't have that date. Those are actually automatically inserted, uh, so they shouldn't be there. But yeah, so then I go to any of these. That's the date I finished reading it. It's in the title, December 30th last year, December 30th last year. And that automatically will link it also to my daily note, but it also is searchable in the title. And in the daily note, I also link to this note. Hey, I read this on December 30th. So it's multiple ways of getting the exact same information, 
but certain tools, new features might allow for different functionality with this system. And it's not any real, it's not really any additional friction to do this this way. It's very easy to just put a parent in the beginning, put a date when you finish it. And if you have trouble putting in a date of typing it out and you really don't want to type out all those characters, I have a template for today. There's a date. Okay, I want to make a link to today's daily note. Done. And it's that that simple to, to do this type of work. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think, I think so that's something that, as we mentioned earlier, uh, I'll stop sharing. Something I mentioned earlier, I think, with, with some of the, the people talking about applications is if you haven't gone into it, I don't think you would, obviously, you, you've built that out for you, for your search preferences, because that's why I asked about the, the symbol, because I was thinking, can't you do that with tags? But now you've explained it, it makes sense. <laughs> I may do something similar, I don't know. We'll see how my how my workflow develops. Uh, but I think having like seeing you and going, okay, this is how I do it because of this, because of this, because of this, it's, it's much more useful than seeing someone go, here's an app. <laughs> uh, One thing you can also think of it as, too, is that I try to avoid using clicking as much as possible. So you see me really moving around with the keyboard much, which is, again, why I use Vim mode, why I have a lot of hotkeys set up. But also the, the searching with the quick switcher and the metadata in the name, the symbol, the date, is also so I can easily just do that with the quick switcher instead of having to go through the tag pane, click on a tag, find a search, click on that item. It's easily quick switcher. Open up that note in a brand new pane. Hold Command, Enter on that item. Go to that, uh, select that pane as the active pane. I have a plugin for that for um, toggling active panes. I have a, a plugin for toggling a full screen of a pane. Like all this stuff is just maximizing my ability to keep my hands on the keyboard and reduce time, reduce friction, get output from brain to paper, <laughs> <laughs> digital paper. Yeah, that. So, question then: What's your typing speed? Um, if I was not trying to stick with touch typing, because actually one of my goals this year that I have um, my habit tracker for is learning touch typing. Um, before, I was up around 72 words per minute, which is just my random you know, <clears throat> typing speed. But uh, I've been doing touch typing almost daily, uh, daily practice, and I'm almost, I think I'm at 62 words per minute with touch typing. Okay. Nice. So you're not quite with Ali at like 160, which is just insane. <laughs> no. He types at 160? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Pretty no. sure it's 160. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of the people that I know in the in the tech world, their typing speed is like 120 plus. And I'm sitting here like, I thought I was good at 80. <laughs> Man, I didn't think I typed slow, but damn. Yeah. Okay. The, the average typing speed, I think, I Googled this the other day. Um, the average typing speed, I think, is around like 40, 45. Mm -hmm. so, and, and then like most people that use computers are sitting between 50 and 70. Um, having said that, though, it's very dependent on what I'm typing. If I'm just, like, if I was to type out the words in chat, I could probably hit 110, 120 because I'm just writing the words. As soon as I have to engage my brain and type because I can't spell, I think I'm dyslexic. I don't know. I just can't spell. It's awful. Anyone that's seen me try to spell on stream will tell you <laughs> red lines under most of the words. Uh, then I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at like 60, 70 words a minute because I'm like, those letters. <laughs> I can't spell for crap either. So as, as long as the letters sort of symbolize the word I meant, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Similar with Todoist, when you start talking, so I use Todoist as well. 
I've been using Todoist. I wouldn't say I use Todoist because I use loads of things. But you say words and then you look back at it and you're like, that's not what I said. <laughs> but I knew roughly what I said. The voice assistant cannot interpret what I'm saying. I said, buy the pizza, not go to France. <laughs> I mean, the the most obvious one that I th I'm slightly confused at is Todoist doesn't recognize to-do-ist. Like, if I say to-do-ist, for whatever reason, it always comes up to-do-list. I'm like, not to-do-list, to-do-ist. But they, it just assumes there's an L in front of it, which... Eh. You, you should totally, like, send them that on a public tweet. <laughs> Like, how does it not recognize its own app? It's not self-aware yet. We're not at Skynet level. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Andy asked about Obsidian Mobile. I know Sarah briefly followed up and said that they uh, have moved the, the stage from, what was it, moving to working on or something? Yeah, short-term mm -hmm. to working on. Uh, do you have any thoughts, insights, uses? Yeah. Um, the mobile app is just now beginning uh, production and their goal for it, if I believe I remember their roadmap correctly, is mostly uh, working on initial features, quick capture and maybe basic editing. Really, the quick capture is going to be like the thing that I would actually use it for is right now I just use Todoist. I just say, hey, remind me about this thing. It's a note idea. I'm driving. Just remind me in 10 minutes. That way, whenever I get back to my to-do list, it's okay, it's there, it's overdue, but what does it matter? It's just that I'm, I will see it when I get home or when I can get to my computer. Uh, but for mobile editing, I just released this video on Monday about how if you use my Git workflow, video, article, detailed explanation, workaround still, but useful, if you follow that, then you can actually edit uh, your Obsidian Vault in VS Code in a GitHub code space in the browser on an iPad. You can do that. You can hack a, hacky work around your way into mobile editing a vault. And uh, with certain uh, VS Code extensions, if you if you look in my video, I talk about Foam. I'm not sure if it's still actively developed. I think it might be. But um, the features in that, the extensions, will let you have almost the same level of functionality, enough to be dangerous, really, like bi-directional links, a graph, and then search, and all that stuff. So enough to really do some work, even if it's not the full feature set. So you could use that with an iPad in the browser, VS Code spaces, and do mobile editing like that. But yes, mobile app coming is exciting. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with that. Yeah, same, same. Something that sort of popped up in mind um, is the obviously coding Obsidian, they seem to work well together. Like a lot of people in Obsidian typically know some level of code from what I've seen, whether it's basic CSS or HTML, again, mm -hmm. from what I've seen. Um, and it it looks more of a Kodi platform, right? If people wanted to make their own plugins, CSS, or make their own thing in their own way, where would you advise people to go? Would it be a, a course, a video in specific? Because we spoke before stream about coding and beginners in coding is just... Good luck. <laughs> um, where, where would you where would you advise people to direct their attention? Okay, um, there's actually a lot of people in Obsidian that there you will see a lot of in the actual channels in the Discord that there are a lot of people who do some uh, some work with code. Uh, like I work with code daily. I'm I'm a research specialist, so I actually work with different languages for my job. But um, the actual it's not really meant to be something that only people who write code can edit. It's just 
right now because of the way that it's set up. The what you see, what you get editor is not there yet. So it's just because it's plain text, uh, it works really well with GitHub and those platforms. That's one of the benefits of plain text applications using Markdown. Um, but the you can definitely get a lot more uh, juice for the squeeze if you have coding experience and knowledge. As for where to start and what is used, uh, Obsidian uses for their plugins, really all you really need to know for those plugins is the web stack because it's an Electron application, which really just means JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. But because they use TypeScript for specific um, the benefit, the benefits of TypeScript, type checking, and some more robust features around JavaScript, you can really just pick web developer teachers who teach web development. And right now, um, I'll pop over to my vault again. Uh, there, ready. Cool. You're sharing? So, well, I'm sharing. All right, so yeah. there's, uh, I'm in a Discord server for tech YouTubers, and a lot of them are, most of them are web developers, and one of them, Codestacker, has a, uh, roadmap for learning web development. And this is the roadmap. Don't get intimidated by this. This is just all the different directions. So really, you start here and you start learning different pieces of technology. You follow the roadmap. And then once you get to this portion, so all of this, but then once you get here, that's when you choose which of these areas to really dive into. And like, I'm not going to be doing all this. But really, what you can look at with this is there's a lot of areas in web development to go to. And what you really want to think about is going to here, Front end. This is where you're going to see like the display, and this is hard to see because I can't really zoom in with this. But really, you're just going to go to front end, and there's some list of resources, TypeScript, and that's what we care about. But really, um, it's just a lot of different things here. But what I really want to show is the mind map plugin. So when I do the mind map, this will actually show me all the different uh, pieces I'm going to be going through, like different URLs for video links, different technologies to research to really be a front end web developer. And even all of this, this is if you really want to get into coding, all you really need to know for developing an Obsidian plugin is the basics of JavaScript, then the differences between JavaScript and TypeScript, which is not a lot. It's just a couple more robust features. And then HTML and CSS, because what are you editing with JavaScript? HTML structure and CSS presentation of that structure and how it's styled. And so once you know basic HTML, CSS, throw in some JavaScript slash TypeScript, all you really need to know at that point is how to interact with the Obsidian API, which if I show their little uh, API here, um, GitHub, they have a repo on GitHub for their Obsidian API. Uh, Obsidian I'm still API. sharing, do you want to hide it at all? Awesome. Nope, nope, nope. Cool. Um, so there is an Obsidian API repo on here that they put out. So that way you can easily see, okay, what is possible to use with Obsidian? So they give a basic uh, explanation of this. And I was playing around with some of this myself because they also have a template repo, which is a, a GitHub repo that you can fork that is already a template uh, for a plugin. The plugin already works. You click the button in the plugin, it turns all the text in your entire vault red. That's it, but it uses several methods and different things to show you like, hey, this is what's possible. And so if you really started getting into this, then you can look at code and figure out what each of these things does as you uh, come across them and need to know. Like you won't just read this like a fiction book end to end. Like you refer to this when you need to know what something does. And that's basically how you approach coding is, okay, start poking at stuff. What is it doing? Did I break it? Okay, no. Okay, what is it doing? 
okay, how can I change that color? What is this method doing? Look it up over here. And that's really how you should approach plugins is JavaScript, HTML, CSS, TypeScript, and then start breaking stuff safely and refer to the documentation here in the API. And the API is still beta, so stuff is still breaking, everything's still new, uh, proceed at your own risk. And this is really how you would create plugins. And it's a lot easier than you think. It's easier than I originally thought, but it's not easy. Coding never is, but it's actually a lot easier than you might think. That's that's promising to hear. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop sharing now for a sec. Mm -hmm. um, so Sarah did ask in in the chat. Can you share that somehow? I think that was the uh, flowchart, the flowchart roadmap for everything. I believe may have stumbled upon it by accident. There's a video um, that goes through. Uh, have they done like a what is it like a 30, 40 minute video going through what it looks like that? Um, but I saw a video of someone going through it, I think it beginning of 2020 or beginning of 2021 or something. Uh, and they were going through a flow chart that looked very similar. So is there a video? There's a lot of different um, like flow charts for like getting into different code technologies and things like that. Um, the one I, I showed was from a YouTuber called Code Stacker, where the stack ends in just stack R. Um, he's pretty popular now. I think he's got over 100K, but yeah, um, it, it's his roadmap. And I think he gives that away for just signing up to his email newsletter. Nice, nice. If you like, at the end of the stream or something, I'll I'll have a look for him and then try and put a link in the description. If you don't find it beforehand, of course. <laughs> oh, I have links to all this stuff if you want them. Oh yeah, if you if you've got links to it all, then just sort of. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll I'll throw them. Is there is there a direction I can just throw them to? Obviously, I've got the link to your channel in the description. Is it on your channel that you've got links, or are they just your links? Oh no, it's just I have uh, searchable. I I know where to go get his. Uh, his URL for YouTube. All right, yeah, yeah. So we can do that after stream. There we go. Great, thanks. Awesome. I I recognize that channel. Uh, Transversy Media Video. Yeah, I recognize yeah. that. I like Brad's videos. I I have actually I actually have a video on his channel that I did on uh, R programming. Um, which funny story. So um, my partner, her cousin, works in an, another different government agency. Like most of our families, like we all work for the government here. Um, so her cousin works for a completely different agency and she was having to learn our programming, which I do in my day job. And she went to YouTube, our programming, and there's my face as the third result on YouTube. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so that, uh, that, that was that an interesting great, thing. That must've been a great conversation. It was interesting. It's like, Hey, I see your boyfriend on YouTube. <laughs> uh, Ah, oh, that uh, popularity, popularity. Um, mm. with, so I've got, uh, I said before stream, I've got someone coming on next week talking about coding a little bit because they've they've done a couple of rants about some beginner coding issues. Mm. When it comes to the, the 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 learning of coding, I think it's, I think you can transition learning coding, learning apps, learning software, learning tech in general, uh, very very similar. Uh, how? How do you think would be your, your well, I guess, what would you be your advice to someone coming into the tech world? Most people here are in the tech world, tech industry to some extent, otherwise they wouldn't be listening to both of us nerd out. <laughs> um, but when it comes to advice generally for, say, a, a normal person, maybe like a mum, dad, family member that isn't in the tech world, what application direction would you push someone towards? I'm, I'm um, curious. So for, for end goal, are we looking at they want to be like really good at it and they're starting from nothing or they just want to 
I'm new to this completely. Where do I start? Yeah, so I guess a bit of context. Uh, I've I've got a, a fair few questions. I think someone mentioned in the last chat as well that they are their digital planning. They use a bullet journal, a, a digital planner, paper, whiteboards, that sort of thing, and they want to get into the digital world of tools, but they don't know where to start or how to go about it. What what would be your advice? That, that kind of changes things. Like, are we talking about somebody writing code or just somebody using technical tools for analog processes? So. The, the the way I see it in my head is if someone's using um, paper and just whiteboards and things and they want to get into using digital tools and eventually start building their own thing, whether that's young, old, whatever age, start using tools, using tech, would you say start using an app, then learn a bit of code? Or would you say understand the basics of what's going on and then how would you direct someone? Um, I would say definitely never limit yourself by, I need to do this before I can do this. Mm. Um, definitely just dive in sometimes, always ask questions. But um, I think definitely, because it, it always, it depends. Um, I, think a great, I think a great approach is, you know, if you never use digital tools and you're now you're going from analog to digital processes, do try to start using applications, see what's going on. Like, if I click the button, it brings up this menu. Okay, cool. What are the options? What are what's possible? Then start seeing. Okay, I see this. Like, what's an H four? It just makes my font bigger. What is that about? And start like getting used to the conventions around tech, like how menu I, menus are now these little hamburger icons, the three horizontal lines. Like, okay, that seems to be a convention that's around everywhere. Um, noticing those details, just paying attention really, and just getting used to doing things digitally. Then also okay, using things digitally, what's annoying? What's a pain point about it? Like, what, what is, where does this actually not work very well? And why is it not working very well? And then once you start just getting used to being in digital space, I think it's, it's, it's completely removed of understanding the, the front end experience of actually using the application and actually knowing, dealing with writing the code that actually governs that. Like, that's why you have UI UX engineers and then you have the other software engineers. And that's why you also have QA engineers is these people are so far removed from each portion of the domain of the application that they need people who are specialized in that particular area. So getting comfortable with just being in digital space is a good you know, first step, but I, it's gonna be a completely new mountain to climb once you begin to even think about learning to code which doesn't mean, it's not me building it up like it's this impossible undertaking. It's not like climbing Mount Everest. It's just, it's a completely different animal. Okay, I'm, I, I was trying to word a question to get you to get an answer that I was like, are you gonna say that? And you did. So for me, in my mind, when I'm learning something, I, I go through three sort of phases. Deliberate play, which is exactly what you've just said, literally push the button. What does it do? <laughs> um, deliberate practice. So working with what you've done in a deliberate way. So I know this does this, this does this, this does this. How can I apply this to this use case, this, this purpose? What, what's the point mm -hmm. of learning this stuff? And then the research, because you can't know everything and someone else is going to know something. And that's when you start going to articles, blog posts, forums, and et cetera. And then you sort of go around and so because you found this plugin thing that they've spoken about and you go, okay, can I build this? Three hours later, trying to Google stuff. What does this mean? What does that mean? Why is this an error? Um. <laughs> That's like the, the approach that I think is 
that's how you learn coding. It's not by, I'm going to take a course or I'm going to watch this YouTube playlist. It's, okay, I really, I want that to exist in this application. I want to make that plugin. That plugin doesn't exist. I want it to exist. How? Knowing it, just, just knowing enough of like, like I, I always tell people in like my line of work and in general, like you don't need to know everything. You just need to know where to find everything. So if you know where to look for resources or how to look for them, like if I'm Googling something, programmers are really just professional Googlers with understanding of how things will eventually work or how to understand how they work. So if I'm trying to figure out how do I make this plugin in Obsidian, it's okay, I need to understand how do I use TypeScript? Okay, but beyond that, it's like uh, looking at, okay, here's the code for an Obsidian plugin. It says extends class. Okay, so what is a class in TypeScript? That'll actually get me some resources. Okay, what does it mean to extend a class in TypeScript? And just Googling your answers, figuring it out incrementally, step by step. And now if now, now that you're actually learning code, you have a reason. It's not just it's just like learning a foreign language. Like I'm learning Norwegian. Is it just because, oh, I think it's cool. Well, yes, but also it's like, I actually have a reason. Like I'm going to be traveling to Norway sometime soon and I really like the language. I really like it. I have a reason, a use case, a passionate desire. It's not just, oh yeah, Spanish is useful. I'm just gonna learn that. It would be useful here in California, but I don't care to learn it. So having a use case, what's your project? What do you care about? What are you trying to bring into the world? Okay, now you have a, a purpose, a drive, a fire. What's the actual, okay, start here, 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 here. Go there, go follow that path. What's that path? Well, that begins like, first of all, you need to understand the basic syntax of a language. That is when you begin looking at tutorials, not before. What do you wanna do first? Identifies what technology you're gonna use, what stack, what anything. Like you need to know where you're gonna go before you start walking. So we need to identify what's your project. That tells you what technologies. Okay, what technologies? Now you need to know the syntax. What words make things go zoom? Like, what are the words? So you need to understand like var, let, uh, const, or uh, class. Like, what do these words do? What do they mean? That's when you take a beginner tutorial, understand the syntax. Once you're there, you understand, okay, I can read this and I can understand basics of what's going on. Now you get to a more powerful point of uh, position, which is, okay, I see some of these syntax words used. Now there's a bunch of other stuff in here, things that the user or the, the programmer has defined. What does that do? And you go through code line by line, questioning every symbol, every text character, every word, what is this doing in this context? And you search and find the answer to exactly that question for every single incremental piece. It's initially a lot to overcome, but as you granularly approach those questions and answers, you begin to develop a holistic understanding of the logic, of the structure, of the variables that are present, because there are always gonna be self-declared variables and things going on, data moving around. But once you understand the logic, the structure, and the design architecture, you eventually begin to see, you can walk into something and spend some time learning the environment, but it's like, okay, yeah, now I understand what this is relatively doing, because you, again, you don't need to know what the entire thing does, you need to know what you need to know to get the the goal done, which is how do I build this thing that I will, that I want to exist? And so by answering those questions, you learn how to do it. You then play around, you break stuff, active play, but with code. Okay, I'm gonna make this uh, class extends modal. Okay, I see a pop-up window, cool. Now what can I do with that? What can I put into this window? Oop, I broke it. Okay, undo, okay, try this. Oh, I see text displayed now. Now I can continue building off, building off, iteration, iteration. 
And then from there, you just break until it's good enough. And then you start really refining. It's just like writing, literally writing. Rough draft, rough draft, revise, re revise, polish, polish. Now you have a final draft. And then somebody says, oh, wait, there's a typo. Oh, that's a bug. You go and fix the bug, fix the typo, same thing. And it's it's always gonna be learning. It's always gonna be constant, constant learning. And there's never an, a point where you will know something. You will always think you never know enough, hashtag imposter syndrome. But that's just how it is. And if you can build the things you want to see in the world, then you are successful. But now that you've learned all this stuff, how do you remember this? This is when I got some great tips from other thinkers like Andy Matushak and just the tool itself, Anki, is then you build spaced repetition flashcards over core pivotal concepts, things that you want to remember. You can make obsidian notes like I do in my vault or just use Anki flashcards to not only remember, but memorize and constantly solidify into long-term memory concepts about coding, algorithms, or whatever. Algorithms aren't even that important any days. But yeah, that's my end rant. <laughs> and clip that. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, you. Get, I mean, I, w I was going to say you could have it as a short on your channel, but I think it's a bit too long for short, so maybe just a mini video. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's something that I've actually thought about. It's like these live streams, there's so many things of knowledge, like knowledge bombs get dropped, but most people don't bother watching two hours of live stream. So it's like, I, I may need to clip clip some things out. Clip during, away. Sorry? Clip away. <laughs> so during that, something did come up. When it comes to learning, I'm, I'm assuming your tasks are similar in that when you're learning something, you are asking deliberate questions. How do I do this? What does this mean? Is that how you write out your tasks as well? If you are looking to learn something? Yeah, I might not uh, write them out uh, as explicitly as that because that's a lot of extra friction to really write all those out. I might just review a piece of code uh, completely and then just line by line. And that even that piece of advice is not something I originally developed, um, of course. Uh, there's another YouTube channel, um, Real Tough Candy, and even she was talking about it was another like uh, software engineer's tweet about learning code. And that was like literally question every everything. If you don't know what it does, don't just stare at it and get intimidated, which is literally what like I have done. Like it just you just see code and you're just like, where do I even start with this? Like literally from the beginning, top left to right, top to bottom. What does that word mean? What does that opening paren mean? What does this double quote mean? What does this do? What does this whole thing do? Compare like and then just every single thing. And then as you understand what the pieces do, you then see the larger scopes and pieces, and you can start asking questions about that. But really, I don't really like write these things out, you know, like a, a concrete outliner list. It's kind of just like, I need to understand what this unit of code does. What does this function do? Now I know what that does. What does this function do? Okay, how do these work together? How can I use their outputs and their inputs and work them together and, you know, put round peg into square hole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with your with your tasks, actions and things that you're doing outside. So you mentioned raindrop earlier. Do mm. you have like a, a reminder to say to go to raindrop or is it just something you do when you is it like an end of the day, a habit that you've built up or how do you know to look at those things to go? I'm going to review this, research that, etc. Raindrop. Um Raindrop is kind of like my uh, my quick capture for Todoist, but for like things I want to uh, read and review and actually um, process with intent 
like for my actual Zettelkasten notes. So it's not something I'm reviewing every day. It's something I review when I have time and when I want to actually return to it and that I know safely that all those things I wanted to read are located there. So I don't have to um, have a million open browser tabs and then make myself feel like I can't even look at this browser right now. It's too many tabs. It's just everything is captured in Raindrop. I know it's there. It's safely there. I can go to it whenever I have the time, the ability to do it. And it's just, yeah. So I, I rarely look at Raindrop. It's just, I capture things in there. And sometimes if it's just one of those quick five minute medium article reads, I'll just read it and I won't even bother putting it in Raindrop because why waste the effort? Um, but yeah, it's just that's just where I put things that I'm going to review when I have time and I know that they're safely deposited there. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I like that. I like that, but I don't know whether I would be able to do that with the amount of content I consume. <laughs> well, that's just for like articles. Uh, if it's research papers, I have a different little process in Zotero. It's a little bit different. If it's YouTube videos, I just use the watch later list on YouTube. Um, and then my podcasts just sit in my podcast player and I neglect them for a year because I have not, I'm not good at listening to podcasts, but yeah. Guilty. <laughs> I, 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 for some reason, I prefer watching the podcast than listening to it. So I'll, it's exactly the same thing. But so for example, uh, Matt Diavella's podcast, I prefer to watch them on YouTube than listen to them from Spotify or Pocket or Cast or whatever you use. I prefer to watch it because you can see you can see the faces, see the reactions, which is why I prefer YouTube over audiobooks. The visual input is what's necessary. Yeah. I need that that visual input because just audio sometimes is not enough. Like if I'm if I'm just listening to something to listen to it, it does not matter. I could listen to it in the car, but I'm trying to listen to these podcasts to actually gain notes, insight, ideas. So I have to listen intentionally, which is a lot of focus to put onto it without visual input. So, yeah, especially. What I found is when I'm listening to things and I want to be intentional, if I see something that grabs my attention, I. I'm not, I mean, I'm half deaf anyway. I'm deaf in this ear, so I've only got one good ear. <laughs> so if my attention goes, it's, yeah, I've only got half the input. I listened to way too much death metal in high school. I'm practically half deaf now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, high school, is that, is that, what's that, 15, 16 high school? Um, 14 to 18. That's like the, end of, the end of secondary school and sixth form slash college in the UK. <laughs> the equivalent. Okay. Yeah, US is uh, interesting. Oh, the, the whole academic like system and stuff is a bit different. I have a really hard time talking. Oh, I thought it said talking. Taking. Taking info inaudibly. Yeah. Actually, on that point, like you may have seen me during this, this stream, like sometimes that you're talking to me and like, you know, I have my webcam here, but like I see you on my screen here, but I'll like turn my head in like this and I have to listen and I can't look at you because that way, if if the audio, the visual input of your facial reactions, you're seeing your eyes or something, that's too much visual input and I'll get distracted by that and I won't be able to focus on what you're actually saying to me audibly. And so that's definitely related to being neurodivergent. But I, I, my family has been thrown by this so many times. Like they straight up think that I'm not listening to them, but then I can completely say back to them everything they said verbatim and then also do what they told me to do because I'm like, like this, I'm just like, yeah, okay, yeah. But you're not even seeing me look at you. So yeah, the, I totally understand the, the difficulty taking in audio input. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I we I think we've said it before stream. I can't even remember. It's been a while. We'll probably close the stream down in a sec as well, actually, because some people, <laughs> so, some people, I, I think it was Sarah said, uh, yeah, I think an hour stream will be good. Yeah, two hour twenty. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, like when I was sitting in lecture, I'd look out the window, I'd look at the desk. I, I used to take cards, like playing cards and shuffle, take juggling balls and just mess around with them because I, I couldn't sit still. I'm a fidget ass. Um, and <laughs> it's the canon thing. The, yeah. Um, uh, I've got the same, but it's space. <laughs> Uh, it just like fidget the fidget spinners didn't do it for me and the, the whole cube thing didn't do it for me I, yeah i'd much rather have like i don't know blue tack or something I had to fidget and i i got so much um grief from my lecturer saying you're not paying attention you're not listening i got kicked out of the lecture because they said that my attitude wasn't right and i'm like but i understand what you said i got all the questions you asked right what what else do you want from me <laughs> And wanted you to conform to neurotypical society. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's certainly a, a, a mic drop right there. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're closing on two and a half hours. I don't want to take too much of your time because you have a life outside of streaming, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be filming the rest of the day, honestly, for the YouTube channel. <laughs> Still in front of a camera. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's been great talking. I'd be happy to have you on any other time. You can still use a, the same link and book another time anytime in the future. Um, I'm sure other people would love to have a, a, a dive into your obsidian in maybe, I don't know, a month or two times to see how see how it's developed. I know I'm, I'm curious, so I'm going to be keeping track of your channel. Is awesome. there anywhere you want to, anywhere, any direction you want to point people? Uh, YouTube channel, and then you can find pretty much everything on the, any of the links in the description. They're all the same. Um, I have a... URL streamer links that has links to absolutely everything of mine on public that I care to share. Awesome. Nice. So with that, I will see I'm streaming on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday next week. So I'll see you all guys on Tuesday and hopefully have a good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is where you are. <laughs> and I'll see you then. Bye everyone.